Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's a little before eight o'clock uh, tonight. Uh, we're just grabbing back some of the time that we've given up in the last few weeks. Uh, the guys from Simcast with a great show getting us in the mood on a big Wednesday. Big Wednesday because not just midweek motorsport, but an extra programme tonight, a special edition of Historic Racing News. And Paul Tarsi with a star-studded lineup of guests plus me uh, who will be looking back at the uh, late 90s and early 2000s and the ALMS that's in a couple of hours time uh, from mm, hang on mm, now uh, and I, I, I can't wait for that I've, obviously I've got to stay on because I, I think I'm involved so it's going to be a bit of fun uh, we'll have Paul Tarsi, I spoke to Paul earlier today, so Paul will tell us a bit more about that in the first hour of the show. Tim Gray is up in London. Hello, Tim. Hello, John. Oh, you've sounded very perky, very perky this evening, Mr. Oh, Gray. I was loud there, wasn't I? No, you were fine to me. I don't know what you were Ooh, like with the uh, listener. The listener would have thought I was too loud. I turned myself down. Right. Um, on a packed programme tonight, Mr. Greer, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. News in English, maybe in Spanish, I don't think we do. Pointless press release of the week. Uh, we have uh, Shay Adam, we have Nick Damon, we have uh, Paul Tarsi uh, previewing what's coming up at 10 o'clock. Uh, I did just say that. We have a big interview. Uh, we have big a interview tonight, interview. yes. We have, we have a couple of little interviews and we have a big interview. And we're, this is our... Uh, follow-up to the Rolex 24 and just after nine o'clock so about an hour's time we'll have Russell Ward from Winwood Racing he was one of the drivers in the number 57 AMG Winwood uh, Racing uh, GT they won GT Daytona so we'll have Russell uh, on about that oh I must remind remind me Tim to ask him about um, GT D Pro because they're an entrant as well uh, as a driver of course. Uh, we've got a, a little look back at the Mazda MX-5 Cup that started uh, at Daytona. And for those of you in the US, remember to set your DVR. Uh, just about an hour's time, NBCSN, uh, the first couple of rounds of the Edemitsu Mazda MX-5 Cup presented by BF Goodrich Tyres, for those of you in the uh, US, on NBCSN. Set DVR, please, for that. Um, it's worth watching, uh, but there will be a spoiler alert <laughs> in the first hour of this programme. Uh, we're going to try and get more merry on from 
California as well from uh, Mazda Sport. So plenty to come uh, in the next two hours. Uh, hello to Blue Fiend. Uh, apologies for my late tardiness listening last week. We'll be listening to Midweek Motorsport live from the Porsche Workshop where uh, today he will be mostly servicing a Panamera. Late tardiness. Got... What sort of uh, expression is that? Well, I mean, early tardiness. I like early tardiness, frankly. What size motor is that? Is that the V6 that you're working on there? Or is that a V8? An awful lot of work to get to that filter, um, to have to take the front bodywork off of that car. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Hello to everybody at the Porsche dealership where Blue Fiend works uh, for that. Hello to the Sim Racing Bastard. Uh, hoping for some Juliet Bravo music tonight. Well, well, we've got a result in that case, in fairness. Uh, listening whilst waiting for the British GT pack to be released on a set of Corsa Competizione. Might be doing a bit of Dirt Rally 2.0 in a Group B, Audi Quattro in Scotland whilst he waits. Yeah, um, news, no, on, news on that uh, British GT uh, DLC pack on uh, tomorrow's Simcast, I believe. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Excellent, with the Americans, good. Uh, I think uh, Liz might even be testing it. Oh, really? Oh, back to the track test, excellent. Uh, uh, EFT, apologies for tardiness from Dave Alcock. Late Vets appointment. Uh, one of his feline friends. No, hang on a minute. I've just seen he's back. He's got back. A couple of jabs uh, for the furry friend. Dave Alcock, uh, also looking forward to that HRN special. Uh, hello to Kevin, to Ian McCarthy, uh, to Davey Two Brews in tonight. Uh, again, Vela Suds. Uh, is there any chance you could shoehorn in a Sydney traffic report? <laughs> in my kidney, I'll listen uh, every uh, listening anywhere. Um, what part of Sydney are you in, uh, Vela Suds? Good morning I'd uh, imagine that regardless, you. traffic's awful. Oh, yes. Uh, no airfares for me, but taking the wimpy indoor cycle option for a double stint with Midweek Motorsport in the background. Spooner in orange. Uh, hello to... Who else? Paul Markart is listening live tonight. Um, Paul and I have been swapping some tips on man caves or racing rooms, uh, as Paul is calling it. Uh, looking for some memorabilia. Uh, I offered him a full-sized Alan McNeish because I can post it to him, but I, I'm not sure. Elliot Lindemood listening live from California. Hello, Elliot. Wouldn't, wouldn't there be import duty on that? Uh, oh, don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, have we have we got a, a trade deal now where we can import things from Scotland? I, I, I don't know. Well, Ted the toy Monaco, man, wouldn't he? Well, true. No, it, it's, but it's Scottish content. Ted the toy man. Uh, no AFAs listening live while looking at sheds and deciding if I should build a two or three bedroom house in my block of land near the bend. Oh, three bedrooms, mate. Three bedrooms. Michael Denny with was almost annex. late, but he's in with an annex and more sheds. Patrick Drones in tonight. Uh, Matt uh, in Hawkey Hawkins. Uh, live for another week. Finally have a week off for the first time since October 2020. Looking forward to the show and the Peugeot driver analysis, Mystic Tim. Well, that about right. Uh, can you turn yourself up just a bit, by the way, Tim, to the listener, says Matt. I've gone too far, AF- have I? Uh, yeah, I think so. Split the difference. John Day says, AFAs for tonight will catch up on the podcast on the way back from a lovely evening of pouring concrete and kettering. Well, oh, I wish I'd known you were close by. I could do. If you've got a bit spare, always do with a bit of concrete. Actually, I can't. Well, no, I could extend round the block pavement, I suppose, for a bit of parking. Uh, hello to Alan Prosser, taking a break from watching Disasters Engineered. 
Uh, he says, Sarah Rigby just got home from work, sat down in the armchair with a big moment of Yorkshire tea. Looking forward to a packed show. Uh, listening in live, Serafina hasn't forgotten this week. Jeff Easterling, shout out to the Buccaneers for the Super Bowl this weekend. Awesome, Jeff. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I just dominated every single facet of the game. I watched it start to finish, uh, even though it was late or early in the morning. Hey, uh, I couldn't take my eyes off it. No airfares from Uncle Kevin for to Horizon for him tonight as well. And Jim, I am listening live for the first time while waiting to watch Spurs in the cup. Hanging on the West Coast, overcast in LA, rabbit food, I eat salad for lunch, says Jesse. And Tron Valentine, no airfares, taking a half day from the office to work on the 9.44. Also, the crotch belt uh, and Doug Amner who's in tonight shuffle the year papers I have a strong suspicion I know what might be the top story tonight and play the jingle please Tim all the latest motorsport news from around the world midweek motorsport and the top story tonight is who had episode 6 in the sweepstake. It's Formula One news, which means we need Nick Damon, our Formula oh, One correspondent. Oh, oh, you went I, early. I, oh. I, I, I premature hooraying there. Nightmare. Give me it again. If we were pre-recording this, we could start again from the beginning, couldn't we? Well, it could have. Right, funny, uh, there's nothing worse a man of your age, Nick, having um, a premature exclamation exactly uh, yeah they were a man of his age isn't <laughs> move it on, move on it's more a man of his son's again. age moving move very 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 very, very quickly uh, uh, it, it is episode six we have got the formula one news we had been expecting which means our nick tim and our formula one correspondent hooray oh, i just feel like i feel i've let myself down i let the team down <laughs> oh, oh dear, dear me <laughs> Well, anyway, we, we had yes. the we had the most bizarre transition into uh, a story and uh, and tangential transition into a story uh, last <laughs> week. That might be the most uh, bizarre introduction into Formula yes. One yeah. ever. Well, it's bizarre, isn't it? It is. It, it is the story, of course, that we had all been waiting for. Lewis Hamilton has signed, which you yeah. were confident he would do. Um, mm-hmm. The talking point is not that he signed or what his terms and conditions may or may not be. Yes. Uh, it's the duration, funny enough. <laughs> yes, that is true. It's how long it is. Um, and yeah, um, for, can, I, can I just say thank you first of all? And I'd like to speak. I, I mean, I'm not really speaking to our listeners in a way who are educated, intelligent motorsport fans, but I'd like them to talk to their friends who are perhaps, what's the word for it, more excitable motorsport fans. Mm. And what I'd like them to do is to go back over the last four weeks of F1 coverage of all the people making stuff up about what was in Lewis Hamilton's contract and what was going to happen and who he, what, he, what he was saying and why someone was at ransom and what was going on. And, and last week's one where he's got a Verstappen clause. He's running scared. He's frightened. Oh, I always knew he was a fake. Now we have the contract after that ridiculous vacuum filling by vacuous people. I'm looking oh at you, God. Daily Star, Daily Mail, and a number of other clickbaity type things. And also the people who are stupid enough to fall for it. He has a contract. Yeah. It's one year. Yeah. Therefore, there couldn't be a Verstappen clause, but it's only for one year. Mm. He also he wasn't asking for too much money. He was asking for less money, but he wanted to he wanted to cement his legacy. 
and that was a complicated thing to do at the moment. And he's also looking forward about how he moves on. Now, I'm not. This is not a wow, isn't Lewis marvelous? I'm sure there's been some fantastically heavy bargaining. I'm sure he's very, very well paid. But for goodness' sake, don't sit there believing the rubbish that comes down the internet about Lewis. And perhaps let's expand this to the rest of your world. If they'll lie to you about that, perhaps they're lying to you for other things oh, don't. just for a click. Don't. Anyway. Don't. So, and, and in fairness, it's not just the mainstream press. There's been some yeah. people within the motorsport uh, press area uh, who should have known better, do know be- better. Or maybe they don't, and they're just not very good at what they do. And uh, I'll say no more because I'm already getting stared at. I can feel it <laughs> by the <laughs> responsible adult uh, at the moment. All right, so... One year, before we get to one year, before we get to the one year, you you said, let's not talk about the the remuneration particularly, but there was a story that you were following up about him getting some equity in in the, I nearly said in the franchise there, because that's effectively what we're moving towards, in in the team. get the impression that that was a misread, and what's actually, the equity has been mistaken for partnership. Ah, and so he's looking to partner in this charitable foundation. And I think a number of other things as well with Mercedes and Ineos and, and Toto, because Mercedes and Ineos are two pretty good companies to partner with. Yeah, good. You're looking to get things done. And don't forget, it's not Mercedes anymore. Mercedes is one third of this organization. It's two thirds, not Mercedes. Mm. Um, so I think that people, he's right. He was looking for a partnership, which obviously people took as equity, which is a different thing entirely, but can be, you know, if someone's kind of whispering stuff, he's looking for equity, he's looking for a partnership. Oh, you know, that's how it can come out. So yeah. that's where we have the... Um, uh, the charitable foundation, which is quite vague, um, it's a really interesting situation. It's, it's, I would say it's a hundred percent on Lewis's terms in the fact that actually what happened was they they both agreed they wanted to do it, but there was so many bits they couldn't agree that they or agree is the wrong word couldn't sort out firmly in concrete. They've effectively given themselves another year to negotiate. Um, Hang on a minute. Haven't we had this story elsewhere? Nothing's agreed till everything's agreed. So we're gonna. Yeah. So is this Lewis's tra- transition period? For I don't know. Uh, this is the point. I mean, he's, he's he's obviously committed to this year. It's pretty obvious that what he wants to do outside the cockpit is taking more and more and more of his yep. his mind space and and his absolutely thinking about. He's not necessarily his legacy. He's thinking about what do I do next. Mm. Um, and he said, well, I'll go for it. I'll do, I'll do this year. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean he only wants to do one more year. It just means that he, do, he doesn't want to get involved in a contractual argument that's going to be really difficult to, to fill out. The thing had already been distorted by the COVID situation. I think probably, the, and I think, you know, this whole situation where when he started the negotiations, he was negotiating with Mercedes, but he finished it. He was negotiating with a triumvirate of Mercedes, Toto, Wolf and Ineos. So, you know, they don't forget that all changed. It wasn't just he who changed. It was people who negotiating changed. Oh, you said something there, Nick, that I want to pick up on. You, you don't think that he just wanted to do the one year and then leave after eight world championships. I, I, think, I, I think he wanted to get, I think it got to the point where they all realised they had to get this sorted. It was getting right. silly. And they all realised they wanted to do it. So they stuck out a nice big bare bones thing, which will include the basic and the bonuses and the and the decision and the desire to do the charity. I'm sure there's a right. in the contract the charity there's a brackets number that will be donated by the various parties and everything else. But then it gives them a chance to discuss the rest of it and, and move on. And obviously it is possible, you know, that he'll get six or seven or eight races in and think, you know, I'm, you know, realistically, no, I want to go and do do, do the rest of my life now. Hmm. Um, but. You know, I think it's 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 kind of like it ended up being pragmatic because I think what Lewis was looking for was so out of the box what a normal contract would be yes. that it got 
just got a bit complicated, but didn't get around the point that they, that they all wanted to work together. That makes sense. So, and they yeah, want so... him to drive. They want him to drive. He wants to drive, but it's the other things uh, around it. And quite often, it'll be drivers trying to negotiate themselves out of doing things that they don't like. Um, Kimi Raikkonen and I'm looking at you. And various other people too who don't like doing all the promotions and marketing and all that sort of things. It Playing sounds tennis like on this... a quad bike. Playing tennis on a quad bike, yes. Um, yeah. uh, this sounds much more like a broader-based discussion, Nick, which, and you used the word legacy there, his motorsport legacy is assured. There's no yeah. doubt about that. He, I think, Lewis in the last 18 months and certainly during the last 12 months, has seen a, an opportunity. That sounds wrong because that makes it, it sound the, the wrong thing. He has seen that he has a chance to do something that is away from the track and meaningful and he wants to, he wants to assure that side of a legacy as away from his achievements within mo- within motorsport on the track. Yeah, you're a long time retired. I don't think he yeah. wants to go and join Sky with the other, every other ex-racing driver in the commentary box. He wants to effect a difference in socio socioeconomic ways, and he, and he realizes he has a platform to do it. I mean, just to go to your point, the point about saying, you know, yeah, what can take time is drivers trying to negotiate out their commitments. What, don't forget what Lewis is trying to do is negotiate in commitments from Mercedes and Ineos. So that's the point. He's trying to he's trying to push two large organisations to do what he wants. This is why it takes a long time, because that's not just a conversation with with Toto or for anywhere else. That, that's their board level stuff. So, mm. yeah, I, mean, I think it's it's, it's good. I, I just wish that pe- I hope people learn from this that just don't believe what's written. I don't. I mean, I think that the only thing I would say for certain into 2022 is that one of the two Mercedes seats will have George Russell in it, and I don't think we'll, we'll, we'll it'll be interesting to see how Lewis feels about moving on. If he wants to, he will. Um, but it's how he feels about where, where the rest of the world is going. And perhaps with a less polarising uh, influence um, in charge over the pond, it'd be, it'd be you know a bit less demanding for him to to immediately go into social justice warrior mode. Um, mm. And perhaps he'd be able to sit back a bit. Well, I don't know. But I, I don't know. He's a he's he's a very very different man from the the guy who was racing even as, as who certainly the guy who left McLaren. And I would say he's an incredibly different guy from the guy who got wound up by Nico Rosberg as well. Uh, on the same day that Lewis signed and took all, well, didn't it? All, all the <laughs> Hang headlines. On and don't go there yet. All right. Uh, because Nick says he doesn't want to talk about Lewis's remuneration. So uh, I'm going to uh, ask Nick about other drivers' remuneration. So I'm going to throw some numbers at him and you have to guess which, uh, which driver we're talking about. Oh, okay. Excellent. Okay. Uh, £6.55 million. Pounds. Carlos signs. No. But quite close. Charles Leclerc? No. Geographically close as opposed to team close. Alonso. Fernando Alonso is correct. £4.37 million. Uh, um, I'll go for Carlos Sainz again. Still not Carlos Sainz. Speaks the same language. Speaks Spanish. Um, so he's not from Spain, though, is he? So he must be from South. My brain's gone dead now. Um, yeah. John, any ideas? Uh, Checo. Yes. Checo Perez, oh, of course. Dear, my brain. Eighteen point two million pounds. Uh, Danny Rick. No. 
Charles Leclerc. No. Um, Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen's correct, yes. £3.64 million. Pounds. This is, I don't know. Um, oh, Carlos Sainz again. Still not Carlos Sainz. I'll give you a clue. <laughs> Carlos Sainz is £7.28 million. Pounds. That's the same amount that Sebastian wow. Fett getting. That's impressive. Yes. That's but a lot of money. Three point two million. It's, uh, it's twice as much as uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Oh right, okay. Uh, Ten point one nine million pounds. Now there were two drivers both getting this amount, so either Danny or Rick. both. Danny Rick is one of them. Valtteri. No. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. Oh, I've, got, I've definitely gone for that one. Bottas is on half that. But you've nailed that one. Uh, Vettel. No. No, he's just said Vettel. Uh, was on the same as uh, yeah seven point two eight for Fed. Seven point two eight. Uh, Leclerc then. It is I Leclerc, yes. Uh, and finally, seven hundred and twenty-two thousand pounds. Latifi. No. Russell. No. Russell. Uh, let's carry on going out the bottom. Well, neither of the Haas guys are getting paid. Uh, Giovinazzi. Antonio Giovinazzi is correct. <laughs> Very good. That's quite uh, a good job, actually, isn't it? Three quarters of a million pounds for. Hanging around, rubbish. trundling around at the back in a car that—I mean, admittedly—it'll it will, be more than any of the next seven people that we mention. Well, I, no, because I, <laughs> because it's only a fifth of what uh, Kimi Raikkonen's getting in the same car, I suppose. So, yeah, it'll be more than the next seven people that we mention on the same day that Lewis uh, was confirmed. All the motorsport headlines went there, which must have been quite annoying, Nick Damon, for Persial <laughs> Sport, who'd been Honestly, building up and trailing this for weeks day. and months and years. And the first really big, important announcement they have, their roster of drivers for 2022, a full year away. And they literally, in fact, I think it was about 15 minutes before they were due to announce uh, Outcomes the Lewis uh, out comes the I mean, Lewis to be fair, we'd spoiled their announcement already by telling you, uh, Midweek Motorsport listeners, uh, who they yes. were going to be a month ago. You got them all right bar one, Tim. He's which, only a test fairness, driver. It, it, the reserve and simulator driver, which is James Rossiter, who is a former Bicolis team driver. And before that, was he a, a Formula One test driver? He was. For Honda? For BAR Honda, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I like James. He's, he's a good lad. Um, very interesting that they've already announced the seventh uh, driver. The headline names, Nick. Kevin Magnussen, Paul DeResta, Jean-Éric Verne. Um, Kevin already getting a bit of sports car experience with uh, with Chip Ganassi, of course, at Daytona a couple of weeks ago. Paul DeResta already had prototype experience and wins at Le Mans in a P2 car, which is going to be very similar in terms of performance by the time they've... Um, Got the the Peugeot out there. In fact, Paul's P2 car might have been a bit quicker than the the new the new era. Uh, and Jev, John Eric Verne, plenty of uh, plenty of experience there. Surprised by any of them? You you weren't you weren't sure about Paul DeResta when Tim mentioned it. Still not sure about Paul DeResta, but you know, fine. Yeah, no, uh, I mean the, the people aren't mentioning like Duval and Gustavo Menezes because I don't know who they are because they have been the F1, but they obviously are probably the guys who've got the uh, right. Like Duval yeah, to Le Mans winner, Gustavo Menezes, uh, WEC driver, and the, the one for me which is very interesting is Mikkel Jensen, the mm. 
LMP3 champion. The one that LMS. you said would wouldn't be uh, considered. Yeah, no, I, I did. I, I I thought that was I thought that was left field. But fair play to him uh, and to them for picking him. Some. A bit of a question mark over Gustavo Menezes in some people's mind because, of course, he'd already been announced two weeks ago or ten days ago by Glickenhouse as one of their drivers for the coming season. And, of uh, course, of he's course, not a Le Mans winner. He's just a WEC champion. Yes, correct. Uh, and uh, But, of course, Peugeot not coming till 2022. So Menezes will get some uh, important experience at the wheel of one of their competitors. Well, yeah, and of course it's not hybridised, is it? So he's just driving a fast sports car, so it's not really any different from driving the P1 Rebellion he's been driving, you know, in a couple of previous seasons. So, um, no, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting set, given the fact they had so much to choose from. Mm. Just not sure, just not sure if they've maximised their opportunities. Um, you know, I absolutely needs a French flavour in Loic Duval and Jean-Eric Fern. Yep, 100%. You know, you, 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 you want a guy like Loic who's got not only, he's got a bit of team management experience now as well. So he's going to be absolutely a, a man able to lead both on and off the track. Jean-Eric Fern, fantastically quick. Should have had a, you know, has been, has been, despite his championships, has been slightly badly treated by um, um, the top echelons of motorsport. And then he, and Kevin Magnussen, you know, has shown he's a great bet. And I think Kevin is 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 one of those guys who who is going to who's going to make the transition really easily from from F1. I'm just not really sure about. I just feel there were better options. And I have nothing got against Paul De Resta, you know, but I don't know what he really brings compared to many other established sports car races. And it's almost like they've got themselves blinkered a bit like Peugeot did with names for the Peugeot the last time around with names. You know, they have Villeneuve in the car for no discernible reason, rather than actually who's the quickest person. You know, it's like they're, they're almost like they're, they're, they're doing it for the, the autograph session rather than the races. One thing I will say is you look at those guys and uh, Paul DeResta is quite tall. You know, uh, that's the other thing I was thinking. He, and, he and has that, got a lot of experience with United Autosport as well, hasn't he? So, and he's a winner. He's a proven winner in yes, sports cars. I, in that, yes, but in that United Autosports team, and I include both the cars there, you've got six guys in the in the team at Le Mans last year. And I wouldn't have said he was the guy who stood out from those six guys. I thought Alex was better than him um, in the less good car, as we know. Um, and um, was it Anthony Fitzcosta, was it? Or who was it? He, he's very, he's it, very well um, thought of. And Albuquerque as well was better. He's very, so, well, he's very well thought of by the engineering side of things. And I think that... Uh, and let's uh, assume uh, that Philippe uh, Albuquerque's not available. Yeah. Olivier he's not available. Chansonny. No. Olivier Jansony, who's the tech director um, at Peugeot Sport for WEC, says, we didn't just take individual results into consideration. We uh, examined speed, consistency, reliability of long list of drivers. We're looking for a lineup that meshes together well with an eclectic mix of upcoming youngsters and experienced campaigners with proven development skills, especially in the field of hybrid I... powertrains. Yeah, but I would turn around and go, right, people who are available, you could pick up Nick DeVries, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Who would I would think would be a better well, you, bit? You and mentioned Antonio Felix Discosta. Well. There's there's been some discussion about him and whether yes. whether yeah. um, Sam was talking about this on the Formula E preview show. If you haven't listened to that, by the way, and really enjoyed uh, that 100 minutes or so last night with uh, Alexander Sims and uh, Sam Smith from uh, the race um, about. Um, Avonturi not potentially not wanting both of their drivers to be doing. Double yes, projects, yeah, 
Was sorry. Yes, yes. yes. obviously is yes. Uh, Citroen. It's so Peugeot. It's, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the part of the same group. Stellantis. Stellantis. Yes. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm not sure that Sam sort of hinted and go and check out his columns on the race because he's been writing uh, about it. It's not the worst lineup they could have had, but no, you're saying it's, it's not it's the what best. you said about a team meshing together, and they don't want to be in a situation like. Um, the DS Formula One team or United last year where there was a disruptive influence within the team. Yeah. Mm. I just feel that... Um, I just don't think they've, they've cast in it far enough. I mean, if you were going to turn around and look at the, you know, the, the, the most recent 24-hour race and you think, right, who would I want to pick out of there and put in my team? But why would you, walk, why would you not go and talk to Renga? Ring of Alexander, who can, who is, you know, has absolutely well mastered the P2 with Jeff. Jeff is a is a brilliant choice. I, you know, I wouldn't Jeff be top of my list, hundred percent of any any team now. I have Jeff number one hmm. because I think he's absolutely the person you want for a P2 hybrid car, which is what we're driving. Um, can I just say then, read Ollie between Jarvis, the lines, Oli Jarvis, yes, but read between the lines. Maybe those people aren't available. We've got yes, we've got Persia, we've got Porsche and Audi who are starting their programmes, may already have started their programmes and therefore may have already approached some drivers. And, you know, people like Harry Tinknell, Ollie Jarvis, um, very much associated with Mazda and therefore with Multimatic, whose programme is Multimatic likely to be running, particularly if it's a US-based programme. Are they staying with Mazda? Have they got other ambitions? Um, have Mazda got ambitions beyond IMSA? Certainly they have for Le Mans, whether they would do a full WEC. These are the questions that I think that magnificent seven, as, as Persia would have us believe, th- those are the questions I think that this, that this uh, announcement raises. They answer the questions for, for Persia, but they're pose more questions for us it's a bit like 42 isn't it deep thought you know now we can start debating what does that actually mean for other people so we are look at it mm. okay yeah no no, no. i think no, I, I think it's, right. a, it's a good point there are two more works teams to announce so there's at least another 12 full works team drivers coming out in the next couple of years next year or so so yep i can be pretty certain that uh <clears throat> audi will uh, will have some drivers under contracts already that they know are going to go yep. into that car well, they've got some of their own GT drivers who they're going to port over, aren't they? Because we've seen that already with people getting uh, LMP2 experienced. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsport, uh, Series 16, Episode 6 uh, already. Uh, extended uh, Wednesday evening tonight. More on that uh, in a little while. Uh, but first, some calendar news. Well, actually, some calendar news coming up uh, in a little moment uh, that... Uh, applies to the Edimitsu Mazda MX-5 Cup presented by BF Goodridge Tyres because their third and fourth rounds has changed location. As we uh, lead into that, we'll have more Murray from Mazda in a moment. But first, uh, and earlier on this week, I spoke to the winner of the second MX-5 Cup race at uh, Daytona. Cracking couple of races. Michael Carter graciously gave some of his time for us. And first, I asked him if his win at the World Centre of Speed had really sunk in yet. I don't, I don't think it really has. You know? um, if it was any other venue, I think, you know, it'd be like, oh, it's another win. But uh, Daytona, I think it always means something a little extra. So it's pretty pretty awesome. Uh, the, the weekend 
could have gone very, very differently for you. The restart towards the end of race one, which produced a, an incredible finish. Uh, you were down You were down on the green bit. Now, I don't race a lot, but normally you're not meant to be down there. No, I, you know, when that, when that all transpired, uh, when I was in the grass, I, I thought I was done. First thing I saw was the pit wall. I thought I was going to hit that, and then the car darted to the right, and I thought I was going to sweep back up into traffic. And uh, luckily, I, I got it pointed in somewhat the right direction. When I hit the pavement, uh, the car darted. I thought it was going to go left, and it darted right, and luckily there was a gap in traffic, and I was able to gather it up. And uh, I think I rejoined in 10th, and then I went off again in the king. I thought I had a tire going down or something, but I guess I just had trash on tires and I think I fell back down to twelfth or something, and, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a ride for sure. I think I think I was 120 miles an hour when I hit the grass, and about 95 when I came out of the grass. So it was, uh, it all happened pretty quick. What was your view of the end of of race one? Then that tremendous blanket finish. How close were you to getting even further up the field? That was only about a second back. You know, I had a pretty, I had a, like a front row seat to the to the action in front of me. Uh, we we were battling for I think ninth on the racetrack, and we were, we were we were three wide for ninth, back about a second back from the lead pack, and uh, I could see Preston and Celine drop from the front to the back of that uh, that pack just in front of us, and uh, yeah, it looked wild. I, w- I wish I was up there battling out with them at the end of race one, but uh, I think it all worked out in the end. It certainly did, because come race two, you were there pretty much all the way through the race. What did you learn from race one to take into race two? Because Preston Pardis will, will say probably not leading very much is the right way to go on, on the banks of Daytona. Daytona, you know, it's a it's a teamwork track. And you know, me and Gresham, I think, are both single-car teams. And I think the only other car in that lead pack on the second race was uh, Jared Thomas. And he is a right. teammate. But uh, I think Chris was a little bit back running fifth or sixth and uh you know we, we just worked well together and and we were able to get in a line and uh jared jared you know we've raced together in spec miata for the past three or four years so we we all know each other very well and we all knew that we wanted to just ride together single file push as hard as we could and you know see what it was like with five minutes to go and yeah. see how how many cars we could get it down to to decide who was going to win and l- luckily, we were able to get it to down to a, a three-car breakaway. So we, we knew we had a podium finish on lock, I think. Uh, I think all of us knew that. I think everybody knows that full-course yellow came out, and I think I was the only one who knew what was going on and, and what was about to happen. I didn't know when it was going to happen. but How much of that was you and how much of that was coming <laughs> from the spot? Uh, when the wreck happened, uh, my crew on pit road actually was watching the broadcast. So my dad came over the radio and said, hey, there's a wreck. There might be a caution. I'm processing all this as I come up out of turn six onto the banking. And my spotter comes over the radio and says, if you're going to make a move, you better make it now. And it was before I had closed the gap to give Gresham that first push, you know, on the banking. And so I, I radioed and I was like, well, what do you mean? And, and you know, before I knew it, I, I, I had second-guessed my spotter's the day before when the, the green flag was announced on the, on the restart. And I think that that kind of had a hand in me nearly wrecking. And uh, 
So I just went. And, you know, I didn't know if the yellow was going to come out after the bus stop or before. It could have been the wrong move. But I, I think, uh, you know, I think from the time that, that the wreck was shown on the stream to the time the caution was thrown, it was like 27 seconds. Wow. And I think it was three seconds after the fact that I cleared Gresham was when the when the caution was thrown. It all happened very fast. Perfect timing. And you dragged yeah. Jared Thomas through with you. Those points put you fourth in the championship. It's very early. Uh, we found out fairly recently that rounds three and four uh, are going to be at Sebring International Raceway on the Mobile 112 hours weekend. Thoughts thoughts about that? How, how's that going to change how you prepare for the next rounds? I like Sebring. I've raced at Sebring a good bit uh, back in Spec Miata, and uh, I, I think it'll be it'll be an interesting race. You know, we, we were kind of in the mindset of we were going to St. Pete, and you know, St. Pete's a tough place to pass on, and really, whoever you know, the race could almost be decided in qualifying. But but Sebring, I think, is a, another track where we're going to have a lot of drafting, a lot of passing, and uh, it should it should. Uh, It'd be a be a good rival to the action we saw at Daytona. Yeah, uh, I, I I would expect nothing less. You know, you, you probably see the same guys up front, and uh, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting for sure. I mentioned fourth in the championship. You've had a cracking three years, Michael, in uh, in the Mazda MX-5 ranks, winning the Club Racer Scholarship in eighteen. The Rookie of the Year in the main championship last in 19, rather, and you were champion overall in 2020. A small matter of $375,000 coming your way for that as well. For someone in your position, um, how first of all, how important is that real money that Mazda are putting into this area of the sport? It's very important to me. You know, without it, I, you know, I'd be racing Spec Miata. There's no no way that I would uh, be where I'm at in the MX-5 Cup Series today. Uh, you know, starting with the scholarship, we were able to parlay that to buying our own car and running that first season. And then winning Rookie of the Year, we were able to turn that over into the second season. And then, you know, luckily it all worked out. and We, we ended up winning the championship. And, you know, what Mazda does for people like me, you know, um, I think Celine, Celine Rollins is an example of it that he's come up through. Um, Jared Thomas, you know, he's won the shootout, won Rookie of the Year, and he's going to be a strong contender for the championship this year. And, uh, you know, it, it's pretty cool to see. And now we've got you know, three scholarship recipients that are in the field this year. Yeah. And uh, just what Mazda does and their, their continued involvement in, in club racing and, and bringing people up through the ranks is uh, pretty special, you know, and to be a part of that, I think, is, is pretty awesome, you know. There's there's nothing really that quite matches it, you know, even like in the NASCAR ranks, there's no, nothing, not, no structure like Mazda has for, for a club and, and sports car racing. Final thought from you, uh, you are the defending champion. Nobody's won back-to-back championships, Michael. It doesn't get any easier just because you've won one, but can you do it this year? I think we have a pretty good shot, you know. I think uh, Gresham is obviously a very—he's uh, a strong competitor, you know. If if, if uh, last year he was trouble with a lot of bad luck, and I think uh, him and, and Jared Thomas, you know, that that's—I uh, think that's going to be your uh, 
your championship three, I think it's going to be decided between us. You know, Sam Paley had a good weekend at Daytona, um, but it's it's a long year, and, and I think uh, I think we have a good shot. You know, we have good equipment, good information. We have we have our way about we go. You know, the way we go about things, and uh, I, I think we have a very good shot. But you know, it's it's a long year, and uh, we'll see how it all shapes out. So Michael Carter then, who won the second race at Daytona, clearly still enjoying his victory. More Murray from Master joins me uh, on Midweek Motorsport now. Two cracking races more for the start of the new season at Daytona. A, a former Autosport editor friend of mine, Andy Holbury, said to me it was like watching Formula Ford, British Formula Ford, 20 years ago. It was just so enthralling. You know, when I heard that comment, I, I was reminded of, of uh, when I first got involved eight or nine years ago with Mazda and was, was watching the previous gen uh, MX-5 series running. I remember standing at Road Atlanta up on the bridge with, with John Doonan at the time. And, you know, my background, I grew up in Europe and, and have a great love for, you know, the old Formula Ford days. And, and I said to John at that time, this is Formula Ford with fenders. Yeah. I mean, it's the race. The racing is fantastic. So, yes, two great races at Daytona, but, and, and it was great to see. And that track lends itself. Obviously, the drafting plays a big role, and those cars have not great aerodynamics, so they make a big hole in the air. Mm. And so the drafting works. But we weren't totally surprised because we, we've been watching these MX-5 race, races like this for, for many years now. Two years ago, I think, across the season of 12 races – the combined winning margin, the margin between first and second for all 12 races was less than five seconds. We, we knew, we know uh, what MX five, the kind of racing, the kind of parry that, a, that the MX five cup can deliver. And then you put it on a racetrack like Daytona where the draft plays a big role and Sebring, uh, which will be our next two rounds. We've raced there before. And, and that's also going to, to turn up some, some, fantastically close racing and that draft down the back straight mm. down into the final turn and trying to get through there without falling into the big hole and then running up to the flag that that's going to be very exciting when we ran i think the last time we ran at sebring patrick gallagher was in fourth place as they came off of the the the, the last turn before the run down the back straight and ended up winning the race mx5s they're they're not overpowered there's not a huge amount of horsepower the engines in those cars are are sealed and stock, so they have the same 181 horsepower that that all the production MX-5s have. Um, obviously, the car is made to work better on a racetrack with suspension and tires and all the safety equipment that you talked about in the broadcast. And um, and you know, there's a there's an ECU and there's an exhaust system and stuff like that. But essentially, they're not. It's not the kind of car that allows you to get it all wrong going into a corner and just point it and mash the gas and have it pull you out of trouble. They won't do that. They're momentum cars. And so you have to be able to carry. It's it's a series of nuances. And we've had a lot of, of good drivers get into these cars. Eric Curran got into these cars. Andy Lally has raced these cars and found that there, there are years and years of success in, in bigger horsepower, um, higher higher spec cars. Did them no service at all no. once they got an MX-5 Cup car because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really unique um, race series. Sebring, you mentioned that more. Next two rounds, rounds three and four, a big haul in the schedule for IMSA and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship at the 12 hours, the Mobile One 12 hours of Sebring, left by the fact that the WEC can't come over. Just too good an opportunity to pass up for the Itamitsu Mazda MX-5 series presented by BF Goodrich, Tyres? 
Yes, and and frankly, since we made the decision in about the middle of last summer to move the sanction um, of the MX5 Cup Series away from IndyCar, and, and IndyCar did a, did a great job for us for three years. We we loved being over there, but as a as a company with with we say there's the soul of a sports car in, in everything we build, and we're a sports car uh, company. We just felt we belonged. It's a more appropriate home for us in the IMSA paddock, so we moved the sanction over to IMSA, and since we got over there. The folks at IMSA have done everything in their power to make sure uh, that we are reaching the audience we need and we're putting this great racing in front of, of their audience. And I think while we may not have been surprised by the quality of the racing at Daytona, I do think some of the IMSA folks uh, were. Some of them some of them know this product well. Obviously, John Doonan knows this product well, but some of the other folks at IMSA were blown away by, by the quality of the racing. So when the WEC decision around IMSA was made and there was a there was a um, hole in the schedule as you say uh they reached out and asked us if we wanted to get two races onto that schedule so we said we immediately said yes uh we love taking these cars to sebring um it, it doesn't add two rounds to the series the way this series works is it's it's a, a um, 14 race series seven weekends of double headers right. so we are we think we're going to lose a round due to uh, later on in the season due to covid related travel restrictions and stuff like that so so it, 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 we're adding Sebring sort of in anticipation that we're going to lose a round, but we still we still anticipate it will be a 14-round series. It's a smart move to go to somewhere um, with so much sports car heritage. The, the, the other thing, John, about Sebring this coming year is for, for many, many years, you know, uh, we've taken our prototype cars to Sebring, and every time we do, we walk down the pit road and we look at all those names and all those flags up above the garages. Well, this year we get to hang our name up at the garage. So that Sebring weekend will be an important weekend for Mazda and having MX-5 Cup there to support us uh, is sort of closes the loop and, and, and show, it's a showcase for the whole Mazda family. That's that's a very good point. If you don't know what Mo's talking about there, all of the winners in the Sebring history are up on uh, on the pit wall, effectively on the pit building. And, and Mazda added their name when we raced there in, in November. Just a, a, a quick thought about the amount of money, real money, more. Folding dollars going into grassroots motorsport. Why is that important to Mazda? Mazda has always had a love for for uh, for supporting the grassroots level of the sport. We, we we see at the very top levels of the sport, manufacturers or sponsors come in and out at their at their uh, whim, and they spend money and then they don't, and and they come and go. Mazda has a much more authentic. Uh, we believe we have a much more authentic. Uh, place in in motorsports because we are we are part of the fabric of grassroots the grassroots community and not just in mx5 but but the contingency program that mazda has for for scca and nasa road racing in the u.s has for many many years uh, underpinned a, a pretty staggering position uh, in in uh, that form of racing so across uh, each season and the number from last year I'll, I'll try and get it right the number from last year if you add up the number of race entries in production-based classes and production-based classes makes up you know the lion's share over yeah. over 80 percent of the share of racing if you add up the number of entries across a season 55.6 percent or 55.4 percent i don't remember the exact number of those entries were in a mazda uh, for 2019 we don't have, I haven't seen 2020's numbers yet. That's extraordinary. Um, and that number has been steady over 55% for the last decade. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And that's based on, uh, so so the, 
you know, we, we say more Mazdas are road raced on any given weekend than any other brand. That's based on that statistic. Yeah. And actually, we, we could say more Mazdas are road raced than all the other brands put together because at over 50 <laughs> percent, you know, we, we have we have more than half of the field. But the, the, the underpinning of that or why that stat is important to us is not that we're, we want to pound our chest and say, hey, look, we're out there, we're out there racing. And we, we're very specific not to say more Mazdas win on any given weekend, although that's true. But that's not the, that's not the message we're trying to deliver. The message is that we are, are authentically a part of the, the fabric of the grassroots side of motorsports. And that's hugely important to Mazda because it represents who we are. Um, you know, Mazda in 1968, when the Cosmo uh, was was brand new, Mazda put two of them on an airplane and sent them to Germany to the Nurburgring, the Nordschleife, um, to race in an 84-hour endurance race. And ever since that event in 1968, Mazda has had has motorsports running through its veins, and and very much so at at the grass. The, the constant through all of this has been grassroots racing. Yeah, we come and go in other series. We had a long-time association with the the road to Indy and open wheel. We've raced various forms at top level of sports car racing. We've obviously been to Le Mans and won that. But but the the, the constant through all of this has been our our love and involvement of grassroots racing. And the MX5 Cup is is a is a sort of an outcropping of that. It's a more professional series now, mm. and we it stepped up it stepped up a little bit. But it was born out of that grassroots stuff. So in order to support that, we have a massive contingency program um, in grassroots racing. And in MX5 Cup, we have always had this club racer shootout, which pays. We pick one driver. This year, we changed it and added two more. We give one driver enough funding to go race for a year and see how they do. This year, we added the fastest female driver from the shootout. Savannah Little uh, is the recipient of that award. That's a $75,000 award. The champion, or the, the club racer shootout scholarship winner, Aaron Jensen, uh, he got $110,000 to fund his year. And then we gave a third scholarship to Chris Noons, um, another $75,000 scholarship. So that pays for them to go racing. And the cost of MX5 Cup racing, the team owners will slap me on the wrist for this because they're always trying to trying to you know, make their businesses better. And, and some of them do, you know, it's quite a, quite a decent commercial model for them. Um, but it costs about 150 grand maybe to do a whole season. So it's not, it's not break the bank motorsports when you consider to get into the very bottom rung of, of some of the open wheel series. It's, it's two or three times that. And then once you're in the championship, the rookie of the year earns uh, a, a 75, uh, sorry, $80,000 sponsorship this year. The champion gets 250000 and we will pay championship purse all the way down to 10th place in points. And originally, the intent was that money would be used to then fund the next step of the ladder in some kind of a Mazda when Mazda was racing in the old Conti series or when we, when we toyed with having a TCR program. It was a way to sort of fund people moving up the ladder. But MX-5 Cup has now become such an important little championship by itself that we're encouraging drivers to stay and spend that money in MX-5 Cup. And and over the years, we've had lots of people do that. John Dean uh, did that uh, when he was champion. Nathaniel Sparks, Nitin, uh, Sparky, as we call him, he did that. You know, so, so you know, we're, we're now trying to encourage these drivers to, hey, make this championship your own. Yes. Let's come and, let's come and, and, and uh, set, some, set some records uh, for repeat champions here. Well, thanks for joining us. I, I thoroughly enjoyed those first two rounds of, of the year. And I, I can't wait for Sebring. Will you come back and join us during the rest of the season to keep us updated? Absolutely. Be delighted to. 
That's more Murray from Mazda joining us on Midweek Motorsport. And don't forget that every round of the Idemitsu Mazda MX-5 Cup presented by VF Goodrich Tyre is available live and exclusively in sound and vision on imsaradio.com. Now, later on tonight, we have a special programme looking back at the history of the American Le Mans series as one of our historic racing news uh, specials. Uh, It's in that... Gap in between normal historic racing news shows. It's a monthly show, normally the final Wednesday of the month. But uh, this month, a special programme, which is tonight, looking back with Paul Tarsi, uh, Jim Roller, Graham Tyler, Joe Bradley uh, and John Hindhoff, who caught up with uh, Paul earlier and uh, asked him where the idea for the show originated. Well, it, it kind of came about, John, because... A lot of conversations that I've had with colleagues of yours and of mine over the years have revolved around things that have happened in the American Le Mans series. Uh, Some of them are are repeatable and some of them aren't. But uh, it struck me that perhaps it would be a good opportunity just to share a few views on just what happened in the American Le Mans series and particularly in terms of the broadcast team, um, that I'm pleased to say that I'm going to twist your arm to come on the show and talk a bit about that. But we've also got Jim Roller, who is our man in North America, Joe Bradley. Graham Tyler is going to join us and uh, talk a bit about that as well. Joe Widensaw, who was probably the person who put most of the broadcast team together in the in the earliest of days absolutely uh, johnny o'connell is coming along to uh, to share the driver's view of the american le mans series so lots and lots coming up and uh, that comes out directly after midweek motorsport and then obviously available on download so that's at 10 o'clock tonight paul tarsi talking to Just me a wee bit away. Earlier on, uh, let's. Uh, it's one-one in the football. Nil-nil. Uh, 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 there's a couple of nil-nils as well going on. Uh, at Spectatorman, Dave Alcock talking about Lewis's deal. One year sensible, given the uncertainty about new rules. Daimler facing difficult trading conditions plus cost controls for 2022. Buys Mercedes a year's stability and gives both parties time to dial in a deal. Michael Denny says Lewis's time his contract duration well. No guarantee Mercedes will be dominant from 2022 onwards and then for why hang around in your 30s if they're not winning yeah I, I suppose uh, I suppose so I uh, very good uh, Nick Collins said and we uh, may not uh, find out what Nick Collins says as we seem to have lost John there briefly see if we can get him back uh, meanwhile uh, I can tell you that uh, tomorrow night we've got a Another packed uh, day or packed evening of programming with uh, the Toro Radio Show, uh, which isn't the Toro Radio Show anymore, and I've got to put £5 in the jar for that, uh, with Simcast, uh, the new name uh, for the show from uh, Lewis and Ben and uh, Jordan and Matt. That's uh, tomorrow at 8pm. Uh, and then at 9pm tomorrow, another edition of On The Grid, uh, with uh, Tony Shebecki and Richard Crail, uh, giving a view on everything uh, from an Australian point of view uh, 
from 9pm tomorrow. And uh, we've got some news on some more uh, virtual racing coming up in the second hour of the show. So uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, now I'm uh, still trying to get hold of John again. Uh, And we shall see what we can do to get him back. Uh, And in the meantime, let's uh, see if we can talk to Shay Adam as well. Hello, Shay. Adam, are you there? Hello, Tim. Excellent. Uh, Shay, uh, NASCAR seems to have started without anyone noticing. <laughs> Isn't it funny that you say that? I saw a commercial for it during the Super Bowl and actually thought, oh, yeah, Daytona 500's got to be soon. Oh, hang on, it's this weekend. <laughs> now, unusually, the um, the clash uh, has happened on a Tuesday. So that was last night. Uh, what happened yeah. there? It was awesome. Can I just put that out there first and foremost? They ran on the Daytona road course with the invited drivers. You have to earn a spot to run in the clash by being a previous winner or in traditional years, a previous pole sitter. But since last year, there was no qualifying. All of the rounds were set by points. Mm -hmm. That didn't really apply. Um, But it wound up being one of those races where it, it didn't seem to go perfectly right for anyone except for Kyle Busch right at the end of the race. But before that, you had instances of Eric Jones fighting his way up through the field uh, in the 19 Toyota, driving just crazy uh, lap times and and trying to do everything he could to pull himself up to the front and then getting hit from behind and nosed off the course. You had Kevin Harvick going way off course at turn two. Um, Martin Truex Jr., great pass coming down the back straight into the bus stop. And then spun all on his own, exiting the bus stop, hit the wall pretty hard. Uh, And then the thing that everyone else is talking about, at the end of the race, it was a battle mano a mano between uh, young Ryan Blaney and Chase Elliott for the win. And of course, whenever it's two cars going into the final corner in NASCAR and it's a left and right turn, they're going to crash. And Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney crashed. Uh, Chase Elliott dove down the inside of Blaney resulting in Blaney winding up in the wall and Kyle Busch goes, Oh, thanks guys. And drove straight through to take a win. Now here's the controversial thing. Presumably because everyone loves Kyle Busch. Yeah, exactly. I think everyone loves M&Ms actually. So his sponsor was very happy. Um, But the thing is just because you win the clash doesn't mean you want to race. You haven't actually done anything. It, It doesn't earn you eligibility into the playoffs at the end of the year. It doesn't actually count as a win in terms of the, win statistics um eric jones had won the clash before but it doesn't count as one of the races he's won in the cup series and jimmy johnson's last race win was credited as two years prior to his race win at the clash i think it was 2018 so it's great that kyle bush finally did get a win the bad thing is that in terms of the stats doesn't really count for anything where else have we seen a race that doesn't count as a race hmm uh, oh. <laughs> Maybe more on that with Nick Damon in the second hour of the show. Uh, <laughs> Martin Trix Jr. has got a new contract, though. He's going to be uh, in that car for a while to come. He does. It hasn't yet been announced uh, how long the contract is for, what the fiscal details are. But the good news is the Martin Trix Jr., who's long been a fan favorite, um, back in 2016, his former team, Furniture Row, had an alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing, but the organization back in 2019, it went away, Furniture Row Racing, and he was sort of enveloped into Gibbs Racing as a a full-time driver. 
for a two-year contract. But now that he's got this new extension in place, the 40-year-old can focus strictly on racing. And I'm really happy for he and his partner both that that's one less thing that they have to worry about. Uh, Bubba Wallace fastest in qualifying, not qualifying, practice uh, for the 500 (laughs) so far. Yeah, qualifying coming up uh, later tonight in about, what, three hours time from now. Um, And it is Bubba who's the fastest car. Now, traditionally, there are some people out there who would say, well, the biggest stories are the ones who are going to get the pole position for the Daytona 500. That's just the pattern as it's been for about the last 10 years. And if you don't believe me, go back and look through uh, new drivers coming into new cars and whatnot. But Bubba Wallace making his debut with the team in the number 23 machine, that's because 23, Michael Jordan's number, it's part owned by Michael Jordan and uh, Denny Hamlin for the 23XI racing team. The Toyotas were the top five cars in the practice that they had earlier today. And there was a bit of discrepancy as to running in a pack versus running on solo runs. The Toyotas were definitely running in packs. So perhaps the Chevys and the Ford were keeping their powder a little bit more dry. But come qualifying tonight, it's going to be interesting to see who can get the front row. That's all that's set by qualifying for the Daytona 500 today in that qualifying session, quote unquote. Tomorrow will be the races. And we do actually have competition to try and make the show. There's 40 spots available, 44 cars trying to make the Daytona 500. And 36 of the slots are already locked in. So that means we have eight cars going for four spots. So it is going to be interesting to see who makes it. Well, those eight are Noah Gragson, David Reagan, Ty Dillon, uh, Austin Sindrick, Garrett Smithley, Kaz Grala, Ryan Priest, and Timmy Hill, yes? Yes, you are correct. And Sindrick should be a shoe-in because he's in a Penske, Penske. car and the Penskes are good. But again, it's Daytona. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, the, there are other names with heritage here. I mean, we all know who David Reagan is. We all know Ty Dillon and uh, Timmy Hill and Noah Gragson. I don't know the name Ryan Priest. He's been in NASCAR for quite some time. He's been in the lower series as well, but right. he, he's been someone who I've long associated with Start and Park as far as the Cup Series is concerned. Fantastic. More from Shay Adam in the second hour of the show. Would you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry? No? Okay then. It's Midweek Motorsport and still to come. And we seem to have uh, lost John again, having just got him back. Uh, so still to come in the second hour of the show, we have uh, more from Shay, uh, where we'll be looking at all the IMSA news and some IndyCar news as well. We have uh, more from Nick Damon with the remainder of the Formula One news. Uh, we've got some domestic uh, European motorsport news. Uh, and, of course, we have our big interview. And uh, I believe we do now have... Uh, John back so he can do the big interview uh, which is with another of our Daytona 24 hour winners Midweek Motorsport on RS1 Delighted to say we are joined on Midweek Motorsport by yet another Rolex 24 at Daytona winner for 2021 after a phenomenal battle 
in GT Daytona. It was the 57 Winwood AMG GT3 that came through to Victory Lane. Uh, Russell Ward joins us on the line now. A win at Daytona is very special, always. Uh, a first win at Daytona for you and the team, also very special. And there's never an asterisk next to the W. But when you've had such a battle for the whole 24 hours, does it even make it better still? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's all about the competition. And, you know, they bring the best guys in the world to come and, uh, you know, compete against us. And for us to hang with those guys and, and come out with the win is just makes it all the sweeter. You've got a really good record of uh, early races in championships. What what do you put that down to? What do you put the success down to, particularly uh, at this year's Rolex? You know, it really comes down to the to just the preparation of the car and all the equipment. I mean, these things are such advanced machinery. I mean, it's basically a rolling sensor. So, I mean, it's got you know sensors in the brakes and the wheels and the in the tires. You know, all around and. You know, you've you've got to just manage the car perfectly and keep it in the window that it likes to operate. And, you know, I think that really it just comes down to the to the preparation of the car. And, you know, we've been you know working at this for about a year now, you know, with the intent of coming to the race and, and trying to learn you know, a little bit more about the WeatherTech and GTD classes. And, you know, I mean, the guys just did an amazing job. You know, it really comes down to just having a well-prepped machine. How important for this challenge, as it was, for you guys and for the team, uh, you as a driver and the team as a whole, that Winwood, with your HTP arm out in Europe, had run the GT3 car before and had some knowledge, at least, of the AMG GT3? You know, it just it just kind of makes things a little bit quicker and allows you to be competitive kind of right out the box because, you know, you can lean on them to, you know, help you with, you know, the setup on the car and, and you know, finding the last couple of tenths out of it. You know, otherwise you've got to go and just do massive amounts of testing and, and uh, you know, do it that way. So, you know, those guys are, are incredible at what they do. And, you know, they also compete with the best in the world over there. So it's good to good to have them behind us. And uh, you know, they also did a fantastic job as well. I know you can't plan a 24 hour race the same as we can't plan. We have to react to what's going on. And, and so does the race team. But did you have a broad strategy at least as you got towards 3.40 on Saturday afternoon and that PFA on waving the green flag? Yeah, you know, with the with the way that, you know, the, the yellow flags and the cautions are structured in IMSA, you know, really the key is to kind of stay on the on the lead lap. And, you know, pretty much if you're on the lead lap within the past, in the last four hours, you have a very good chance of being at the front. You know, you, you know, people can pull a minute gap on you or a 30 second gap on you. And then there's a yellow flag and boom, you're right there all of a sudden. So, you know, it's, I think that's the key is just, you know, you got to stay out of trouble because, you know, those prototypes are coming by you like you're standing still, you know, they're so fast. They're trying to suck you out of the window, you know? So it's, I think that's the key. The, uh, the weather was decent. Thank goodness. Uh, I think I saw it drop down about 13 Celsius overnight. So by no means the coldest, but then on, Sunday morning, sun comes out, and the next thing I look, it was 33, 34 Celsius on the track. And I thought, heavens, that's, you know, that's that's hot. That's, you know, for us Europeans. Um, that give you any problems? Michelin tyres stood up very well. I, I know they've gone to the S9 uh, compound this year, so slightly uh, slightly harder compound, I think, for, for GTD. 
You know, actually, I think it, if anything, it gave us a little bit of an advantage because the the Mercedes is, you know, we, we try to set up our cars to go the distance and, and really we were faster at the end than we were at the beginning, you know, the lighter fuel we got, the faster we went. And, you know, the real problem where we struggled is the outlap. So, you know, an outlap at the night on cold tires, I mean, you could lose an easy 10 seconds there if you don't just nail everything perfectly. And I think other cars do a little bit better there. I mean, the Mercedes just, we don't, we don't have that front end until, until it starts to heat up. And so it just is a massive amount of understeer until, until temperatures start to come in and, you know, so the Porsches and things like that, they can go right out of the box pretty quick and, and, you know, get it warm and, and we, we can't really do that. So honestly, you know, we just lowered the tire pressures a little bit, tried to, you know, keep the, keep the car in the window and it really helped us on the outlap. So to me, the, the, the increase in temperature was actually, it helped us. The only, the only incident, uh, the only potential issue that you had was fighting for the lead with the AF course of Ferrari. The, it was the 21 car, wasn't it? Uh, you two guys, yeah. your two teams were at it, hammer and tongs. And if funny enough, it was out of the pitch. You put it together, one lap coming down to, to turn one, bit of contact there for the Ferrari. Unfortunately got a puncture, which dropped them out of it. Scary moment there for, for everybody concerned. Cause that could have been your race right there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was sitting in the camper and I, you know, that, that battle has been going on for hours, you know, and, and almost identical moves from all the drivers in the, in the AF course of Ferrari, you know, going around the outside of one, they had a better straight line speed, you know, especially in fifth and sixth gears, you know, as you got to, to the higher, they were really good in the draft, but, you know, I think we were a little better on the brakes. And so it was, it was relatively easy to defend. Um, but man, when I, when I saw that happened, I just didn't, I mean, me and Mauro are sitting in the truck and I just didn't even, I didn't even say anything. I just got up. I was like, you know, I'm going to take a shower. And then I hear in the shower, no action called. And it's like, oh, thank God. You know, we, you know, you're looking at that and, you know, it can kind of go either way. But I think IMSA, IMSA made the right call on that one. Uh, Bo Barfield, our race director at IMSA, likes people to race. And they like that he likes, well, you've heard it said before, as I have in his, his driver meetings, race the way you would like to be raced. It was hard racing. Um, ultimately, six of one, half a dozen of the other, as we say here uh, in the U- UK. Um, Last few laps. Tell me about the last, what, hour and a half, two hours, one more pit stop to go. That's when it all starts to get very real very quickly, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you're, it, it started, the last two pit stops were really intense. I mean, you know, you had the Sun Energy car just right on you a second away. And, you know, they they made kind of a, a, a they took a risk coming in early trying to undercut us and, you know, we just had to keep everybody calm on the box because when you see that risk happening, you know, okay, look, they're struggling to get by us. It's, it's going to be tough for them. And so the second pit stop, we went out, we still, we maintained the lead and the final pit stop when that came in, I mean, those guys just absolutely nailed it. I mean, after 30 hours or, you know, well, 22 hours of, of actual racing, but those guys have been up since eight in the morning that day, you know, they, even after all of that, that was like the quickest pit stop they've ever done. It was absolutely just beautiful to watch. We, we didn't celebrate after that, but we knew Man, you know, now it's all in the hands of Mauro. He's an absolute jet on the racetrack. So, you know, we it was that was bliss for me. When I saw that happen, we came out and we turned that one second lead into an eight second lead. Mm-hmm. It was it that was game over. As long as the car didn't fail, which is not gonna happen. I mean, the AMG is the most reliable thing on that racetrack, so that's not gonna happen. And you know, Mauro's not gonna bang it up. We just we didn't say anything because we didn't wanna we didn't wanna jinx it, but we knew, man, that was it. We're gonna win this thing. 
It's not over till it's over. All you need is somebody to make a mistake in a P3 or a P2 or a DPI or whatever. Um, or get puncture involved. on the racetrack. Exactly. You know, it's or a puncture on the racetrack like the like the Cadillac had. I mean, oh. what a what a disaster. Talking to some of the the prototype drivers, Russell, um, they were seeing how much difference it made when the wind direction changed. Was that something that you guys noticed as well? And did you have to slightly modify your driving style? No, absolutely. I mean, you can also see it's a it's a big benefit on the straightaway, you know, for us, especially, you know, when you when you have a, a tailwind, I mean, it's just you can actually hear the thing rev out in six gear, whereas when you got 20 miles an hour of wind you're fighting against, I mean, it kind of just stays there, at you know, 6000 RPM in six gear. And also, I mean, the, the cars are for me, it's quite an aero dependent car, you know, I, I've done a lot of GT4 racing and Porsche Cup racing. So this thing to me is like an upside down plane. I can't even imagine what the prototypes are like. But you can definitely feel, you know, the aerodynamics change throughout. You get more more front end, which is good in the Mercedes. You know, we yeah. typically it's a long car. It's got a lot of weight spread out throughout the whole length of it. So um, you know, having that that front wind makes the nose a little better. And you sometimes have to watch out. Sometimes maybe it's too good and you might get an oversteer moment in the middle of the corner, but you know, it's definitely, definitely manageable. And you know, it's just something that you've got to, you know, when you go out for your every lap, it can change. So uh, you know, definitely a big effect for us. Well, listen, it was brilliant to, to watch uh, Rolex Winners Watch. And I hear that that isn't staying in your cupboard or going on your wrist. Come on, tell the story. On the on the on the podium celebrations, you know, due to the due to the coronavirus, we're not allowed to have anybody other than the drivers up there. So uh, you know, once I got that watch, unbelievable to hold it in my hands i mean it's just such a beautiful piece of machinery but uh as leaving the podium i mean the first thing i did was when i saw him was give him give my dad that watch i mean that's uh that's his watch he's he's earned that thing so you know we've we've got the performance and and we built the team to be able to compete against you know the best in in gt daytona so i think we can have another shot at it and maybe i'll get the second one put a bit of pressure on good i like it need another one need another one and you've got two wrists as well, as I've said to people who've been multiple winners in the past, I'd I'd wear them all the time. One on each wrist if I'd would would two of them. No no doubt. Listen, fabulous team effort, Everett. Absolutely fabulous team effort. We'll talk a little bit, um, if if you don't mind, about the rest of the season in a moment. But the big announcement um, from IMSA for next year at the Rolex. So you know, within a year's time, no GT Le Mans and what it looks to be effectively two GT Daytona classes, a pro class and an AM class. Whilst clearly, Russell, and I know you're a student of the sport and a fan of the sport as well, clearly the GT Le Mans situation had to be addressed. But as a GT3, GT Daytona driver and team owner operator, how does that sit with you guys in terms of would it change your plans? Um, does it kind of make the arm side a secondary class how, how do you look at that and, and how how would you look at it going forward i think it'll it'll increase this the size of the the field which is always good but i mean if you look at the lineups this year i mean there's no slouches in that car so you know i don't know how they're going to get better guys in there i mean they already they already have amazing lineups in there you know it's it's going to be really interesting to see so you know, I, would, I think we're just going to have to wait and see who who decides to put a put together a factory effort and see if they can beat us pro ams. You know, it's going to be tough for them. You're, you're pretty close to AMG uh, Mercedes. Uh, you know, has there been? I know it's fairly soon, but I know there's been conversations going on in the working groups. Uh, is there an opportunity for 
Mercedes-Benz to effectively put in a works team or a, a semi-works team? We see it, don't we, with, with Porsche and Audi to a certain extent, BMW in GT3, places like the Nürburgring, you know, WRT, Vincent Voss, virtually a factory team, certainly factory drivers being loaned there. Is that something that might happen with AMG and would Winwood be interested in, in running that car as a, as a semi-works outfit? You know, absolutely. I mean, I think, AM, you know, we're on AMG's radar a little bit more than we were. I mean, we got the first win for him in GT Daytona ever. Uh, so that's that's a huge honor for us. Um, well, I think that they'll be very interested in doing that. I haven't talked to them about it, but, you know, if they if they wanted to, to put a car in, in, in our paddock and have us run two cars, you know, we'd love to do it. I mean, two cars is always better than one. You can get better information hopefully we can steal some from the pro guys and and make our car faster so uh you know i I think that they'll be they'll be very interested in that yeah and what about your plans and your dad's plans for the for the rest of of the season are are we going to see the gt daytona back out in the michelin endurance cup races you know it's it's not going to happen this year you know what 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 we had gone in with this year was to just get our feet wet in the WeatherTech paddock and we came there with really no expectations and we even said look i mean even if we win this thing we're not going to to overextend ourselves we've got some unfinished business in Michelin Pilot Challenge and as much as i'd love to you know run that car at Sebring and and Petit Le Mans you know i think uh, we can just hold back a little bit get everything properly sorted and uh, come back next year with a with a really competitive effort that you know people are gonna people are gonna look at. Uh, and what about your dad? Is he coming back to driving? He keeps telling me at virtually every race I speak to him. No, oh, that's the last one. I'm not coming back. Ah, the, but we didn't see him uh, behind the wheel at Daytona. Is he is he coming back for the rest of the pilot season? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that up for up to him. I mean, you know, we've got a car here ready to go. All we gotta do is throw it in the trailer. So if he if he wants to if he wants to come and run, it's it's completely up to him. He, he said that before. This is my last one. This is my last one. But uh, you never know. It's uh... <laughs> and as far as you're concerned, Russell, is it a different mindset when you know you've got 24 hours rather than four hours? Is your longest race normally in? in the Michelin pilot, not the first time you've done a long distance races in fairness. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me at the start, it's just, you just trying to stay out of trouble because, you know, you've got a long race to go and, and, you know, the cars are pretty air dependent in my opinion. So if you knock a dive plane off or you break a splitter, it can really put you on a back foot and, you know, just a couple of tenths a second. I mean, you could imagine if you lose two tenths of a second a lap because of a broken dive plane and you do 700 laps. I mean, that is, uh, that's a big deficit. So, you know, for me, it was definitely an interesting mindset. I mean, first WeatherTech race started off and immediately I get the spotter yelling Porsche and sideways in front of you. And, you know, you just got to break and avoid that thing. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of, I like to say I'm pushing 99% or, you know, not hundred percent, but you really can't afford to do that either. I mean, otherwise you got people running up the rear. Really hearty congratulations from everybody here um, on in Radio Show Limited and, and, and IMSA Radio. It's been brilliant sharing this journey, which is by no means finished with, with you, your dad, and Winwood and HTP as well. Very well deserved. Hard work behind that, going back a very long time. Those wins don't happen by accident. And sometimes you do all the work and you don't get them. That's motor racing. That's why they call it motor racing, not motor winning, of course. Onward and upwards. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season. I presume championship charge for, for pilot then, eh? Yeah, look, I mean, you got some unfinished business there. And then me and India are itching to get back in the car already after the, after the success of Daytona. So looking forward to it.
say hi to, to Indy and the, the rest of the team and your dad uh, and Christian, of course, back in, in Germany as well. Always good to speak to you, Russell. Congrats. 24-hour of Daytona class winner. Oh, mate, that sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, it sounds beautiful. Thank you, John. I really appreciate the time. Nick Damon is still with us and it's time for some more Formula One news. I can't risk getting it wrong again. Okay. <laughs> so not only are you worrying about premature uh, exclamation, now you, you, you can't perform twice in an that hour def- and a bit. That definitely is my age, yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe maybe some... tomorrow. And this, <laughs> yeah. and this, Come back and ask me tomorrow evening, absolutely. And uh, this week on Carry On Midweek Motorsport. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, Tim. Well, we're, we're off on tangential introductions again. Uh, more Formula One news. Where would you like to go with it, Tim? I'd like to go to Italy, to Marinello. We'd all like to go to Italy at the moment. Well, yeah. you can. You just can't come back cheaply. <laughs> Are we, are we allowed to go? Okay, well, that's the country we actually go to. I wasn't sure because Spain, you can't go to Spain, can you either? Or Portugal. Okay. Or France. Great. <laughs> right, what's, what's happening at Marinello, Tim? Uh, they are building a uh, radical new engine concept for 2022. Yeah, what is it, a rotary? Is it um, going to be legal, how... Nick? Because well, you know what Ferrari's history is like with radical new e- concepts. It's, it's interesting, really, because you think about the four-stroke engine um, and the petrol-powered four-stroke engine, and, it, and and once you get to F1, it's pretty well developed now with the hybridization taking 52 to 53% of thermal efficiency, which is, you know... Extraordinary. Unbelievable. Mm. So I, I do get the impression that the um, that Ferrari like to say stuff to, to put the Italian press off the, uh, off the, the scent occasionally and, and going for the jugular, because I can't think of a radical new design of four-stroke, and it'll turn around, they'll go, well, we've decided to slightly underlap the valves, you know, it's not really radical, you know, or whatever it may be, so, I mean, yeah, it'd be fantastic if they came out of the rotary, or one of those um, engines with you know, the, the bellows on them, which, which, which adjusts the compression ratio, or perhaps, you know, the camless thing, which uh, Conizegger work, I'm not actually sure it's legal, actually, because I think there are rules about crankshaft and camshaft height. There are radical things you can do, but not really at the start of an engine freeze and not when you're trying to beat Mercedes. So I think they may have overstressed the word radical. So do, do you know what they're for? actually going to try and do? Oh, no, I don't. No, you heard. I'll tell you. They're going to separate the turbo yeah. from the compressor. Now, to me, this doesn't seem radical because this is something that Honda already does in its engine and Mercedes already yeah. does in its engine. So they're basically copying the two of the three other engine manufacturers, aren't they? So that's radical for them, though. That's disappointing because I only read. I mean, it's I doing read the what first Alpine is not. So I just I only read the first part of the article and thought they were actually doing something radical, and I was quite excited by it. You know, they they actually do something interesting, but that's not radical at all. Yeah, you know, that's just copycat. Mercedes has since day one. That's when, that was the thing that everyone thought was the key advantage of Mercedes in 2014, wasn't it? Oh yeah, they've they've split the turbo and the compressor, and therefore they've they've got they've yeah, there's heating. They've managed to reduce the the, the charging temperature of the charge. And then Honda you know. did it as well, and they realised that wasn't all of the advantage that Mercedes had. No, it was about packaging. But and, and it, it actually, there is no specific advantage in separating them unless you build all the other packaging around it, and then there's a set of compromises compromises that come with it. So does yeah. it necessitate a complete redesign of the back end of the car, though, Nick, and the yeah. aero? I mean, it's uh, not the aero. No, it's, it, it, it'll it, it theoretically slightly changes the obviously the relationship of the airbox to the back of the car. It does change the cooling requirements and say the plumbing. Um, 
but yeah, no, they have it, said it, that they'll they'll need a whole new intercooler uh, design to uh, go with this radical approach. <laughs> mm. I'm really, that, you know, normally when you come up with these news news stories, they they excite me. That's disappointed me because it's underperforming on what I thought it was going to be. Do you, do you feel as though your expectations were not adequately managed by the first paragraph of, uh, of the I, reporting? I feel, I, I I feel clickbaited. <laughs> to go back yeah. to another theme of the week. Used. Yes. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> your index finger of your right hand has been has been duped. Yes, yes, nightmare. <laughs> uh, what else you got, Tim? Uh, who started work officially this week? Oh, oh, uh, uh, David Abrivio. No. In is fact, it, is it Dominic does, does he, he even have a job yet? Yes, yes. yes he was confirmed. I mean, it's, not Dominic, it, it, Dominic it's been, it's it's been confirmed the that uh, Bivio has been appointed, but what does this job no, actually no, no, entail? Yes. So, they, they Sporting director? Defined haven't defined it. Right. Because they don't know. Because okay. they've, they've obviously lost um, Cyril Abdul. Uh, and careless of them. It was a good idea, but let's not go to that now. Again. <laughs> so who was it you said? I said I just wanted it was, it was uh, Dominic Yardy because he's been all over the press this week, but it, it might want to be. No. I, think, I don't think it was this week. It's a driver. Who was it? A driver. Right, I don't know. Um, Sebastian Fettel. No, that was last week. That was last week. Uh, I'm behind on my newspaper reading. I've been busy. I do you know what? I've not seen anyone anyone spout rubbish recently. Go and tell us who it is. Carlos Sainz. No, he's no, no. No, he was doing that whole Marinello test we talked about last week. Yes, we know, but he officially he hadn't um, he hadn't started work at that point. What he was doing off of the goodness of his own heart, doing a two day two day two day multiple test in the 2018 car. Well, it benefits him, doesn't it? Well, he's doing it in his own time, you know. I'm was sure it the, they was paid it the full him full two day test or just a half hour. <laughs> you know, I, I also sure they paid him extra for it. That's another, I'm sorry, that's another title that complete. I'm sorry, that question again. I, I reject that question because it's wrong, Tim. Keep going. Find me something new. Find me an item I, item I won't be disappointed by. Uh, what are we going to be doing in Interlagos and Montreal? Nothing. And, and one other place as well, isn't it? Yeah, well, John got that <gasps> one correct by saying nothing because the chance of going to either of those countries is pretty much zero yeah. at the moment. If, so what if is planned? We go, if we go, if we what go is planned? Yes. To the... Races which are on favourable time zones for the, U- for the for the Europe, so that sticks their race times into late afternoon, they've had the brilliant idea of running a sprint race rather than qualifying in those three events as a trial. Can I just say um, I'm underwhelmed un- by this because there's nothing wrong. Of all the things that could choose to... Hang on a second. Haven't we done this to death, this story? Of all the things no, that could change no, in Formula not 1. It's not reverse grid and they're still qualifying. So they're going to be qualifying on the Friday to set the grid for the sprint race. The sprint race, which is a nebulous distance of about a third of a Grand Prix and a nebulous amount of points, they haven't decided how many yet for the first, they don't know how many people, uh, will then set the grid for the, give some points and set the grid for the race. So they're just copying IMSA, in fact, what they did at the Raw. Yeah, well, to be honest, it absolutely seems completely pointless. In an era where um, (laughs) we don't have any much randomization and overtaking is difficult, why would you want to eliminate any potential randomness from qualifying by Where somebody gets get up randomised to get back up again? Um, so you're talking a 20, 15, 20 lap sprint. So if somebody does nose up there, 
So if Lewis Hamilton doesn't get pole and Norris up his 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 quality lap, the one lap at the end that he's got to get, um, then he's got then a further fifteen or twenty laps to get back to somewhere near where he should be, and then yeah. the full race distance to go off and win the race again. And do you think that anybody is going to take any risk in that race? How, after, how long is it going to be, be before after, the race? It'll be after the Saturday. Saturday. So the day oh, oh, so it's a full day after, before. Right. Be after you claw, by the because they're not going to try and no one's going to lunge up the inside with a chance that they might end up in the barriers. You know, you, you, those battles at the back of the midfield where it's eight for bust, well, they're not going to go for them because bust means you're starting from 20th in the real race that pays the real points. That was going to be my next question. If you don't finish, um, what happens? Uh, if you don't finish in the, uh, in the also, sprint race? Quick, quick question about this. Where, where, what do the grid penalties apply to? They apply to the sprint race or the main Ooh. race? Because if you sit there and you've taken a new engine and you only go to the back for the sprint race, then people are going to go, fine, I'll have a few of engines and I'll whiz my way up to 10th by turning up to 11. Mm. Um, and then to, but if it applies to the main race, then what's the point of the sprint race? Because you can't improve position anyway, so you may as well not bother. So the whole thing's not thought out. It's an attempt to try and buy an extra hour of TV time you don't need to do if you correctly promoted your support series. So I don't think it's a very good idea, does, regardless of the fact it's going to upset all the statisticians of the world, because does it count as a Grand Prix win or not? The answer is no. Currently, after qualifying, Nick, what happens to the cars after qualifying now? Park Fermat. So if uh, Park Fermat applies after the qualifying sprint race... No, it doesn't, because the whole point of that is that Park Fermi has to drop as soon as the as soon as the lights go out. Park Fermi has ended, because you can't, you know, because they're allowed to change tires. They can replace it, you know. Yeah, but in a, in a race, no but this is a qualifying race. So would Park Fermi apply between qualifying and the sprint race, race, and then it should point. apply again it's between excellent. the end of the sprint race and the start yes. of the race? So if you damage your car in the sprint race, then you only have the rest of the sprint race to repair it before... Well, no. No, don't forget, because you damage your car in qualifying, you you can repair it if if, if the FIA are overseeing the repairs and make sure you replace like for like. Good point. How are they bribing the the teams to vote for this? I have no idea. And 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 they need to get 30 out of 32, don't they? They need a super super vote for it. I Uh, don't know. Tell, Tell me how they're trying to... They're offering them $75,000 per team per race. So $75,000, so $37,500 per car uh, for a 30-lap race when it costs $10,000 a lap to run an F1 car. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Can I read no. between the lines again? Can I do my reading between the lines again? Right. They're not expecting to get their full season in, so they're maximising the TV time. Not really, because those are races that are the most likely not to happen, John. Ah, okay. So, so then, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, and so, then reading between the lines of that, this is a sop to certain people within whatever working group to say, yeah, yeah, we'll try that, we'll try that. It's securing the knowledge in a very Max Mosley like way. If you turn back the clock, where Max would say, "We're going to ban 
the the fourth wheel on a car from next weekend. <laughs> and we go, what? 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 Oh, no, actually, okay, we'll, we'll back off from that. We'll back off from that. We'll compromise. You can just have fewer tyres. Oh, okay, that's much better. Few. Yeah, yeah, few. That's, that's pretty much how Groove Tyres got in. Well, yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. But, um, so so, the, so they've, 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 they've said, as a SOP to whoever has been asking for this, um, yes, we'll do it, safe in the knowledge that at least two out of the three, possibly all three of the races, won't actually happen. I, I just, the thing is, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I'm, I don't know whether it's because I'm an old fuddy-duddy or not, but I don't see what's You're not that old, broken. Nick. Well, what's particularly broken with the format with the format of the weekend? I don't think there's an issue with the format of the weekend. Yes, there's an issue with the racing, but that's down to the cars and the tracks. I don't. I think the format's actually pretty good. Mm. I would quite like to see Sunday warm up brought up. I realise why it can't be because the part firmware conditions. But I don't see an issue. I think it, I, I'm not sure what, why this requirement for people to come in and fiddle because they think they should when they're fiddling with bits that actually are fine concentrate the bits that aren't fine i think what they should do if they're going to propose silliness like this bring back sunday morning warm-up but not in the race cars in road cars from the same manufacturer or the same engine supplier and and give partial points for a sprint race there for no apparent reason whatsoever you know, I don't think that Ferrari and McLaren would have a little bit of an advantage over some of the other manufacturers. I think Alpine might vote against that <laughs> somehow. They've got a lightweight, yeah. Red Bull will be fine because they'd have the uh, the Valkyrie. Is it Valkyrie? Whatever mm. the supercar is. Mm. Aston Martin, no, the car's a bit heavy. They'd find something a bit well, lighter. Aston Martin's got the Valkyrie, haven't they, surely? Oh, both, yeah, good point. Both of them have got it. Excellent. Oh, yeah. this is the, so we've got the Valkyrie, Valkyrie. We've got something ma- massively exciting from McLaren. This is I think Alfa Romeo is going to vote against as well. <laughs> Oh no, they could have. They've got. They've got a supercar on the, on the gum. Yeah, but it won't go, go to the end of the race. The uh, will for Tony uh, Twenty Laps. Uh, can you imagine that? And here comes Alpha Tori in a very striking pair of trousers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm getting changed into my racing trousers now. Um, <laughs> and that's it. And now I shall wander up in my hire car, which is a Corolla. Um, uh, Williams can do stuff. Um, with Williams need to take that electric car out of mothballs. The, the, well, the, the They've got 1997 uh, race-winning Laguna with Alan Menu in it. Very X, good point. XC75 no, or something. If they, if they had that with Alan Menu and, and Jason Plato, there'd be no other cars left on the track after five laps anyway, so it'd be fine. Fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Uh, any more on Formula this, One? Oh, plenty more. We've done, that in, we've done that in a minute, and that's got more legs than the stupid idea from the FIA. That was my point. Moving on, sorry, opened the wrong fader there. Moving on, we welcome back Shay Adam. Hello again, Shay. Hello. Uh, and what were we going to say to Shay? We were going to say IMSA news. Uh, and uh, let's start with uh, uh, someone who I still think is much younger than he is because uh, when I first met him, he was only 14, Seb Prio. <laughs> Seb Prio, um, too early to say 2021 uh, Porsche Career Cup North America champ. Um, Probably a little, <laughs> given that we don't know the full rest of the grid. Yeah, fair point. Well, but, I mean, if, you know, if someone like, say, Timo Bernard decided he wanted to go, then I'd oh, put my money on him. Yeah, yeah, I can't go against Timo. Love that guy. Um, no, but we have Seb Prio with the announcement this week that he has signed, still with Multimatic, uh, he is driving for Kelly Moss Road and Race with their program for 2021. If you think about drivers who are well-established in and of their own right, you think about teams that are ultimate powerhouse team, and Kelly Moss 
has won the championship, I believe, the last three years on the bounce. The last time that it wasn't a Kelly Moss driver that won was Trenton Astep with JDX, and that was several years ago now. Um, but a fantastic program. These new cars, everyone's going to be adapting to them. And that's why we can't actually talk to Seb right now because he's adapting to the cars up in Sebring International Raceway, testing up there. But 20 years old, this is his opportunity to try and win a Porsche championship. And I expect him to be a winning driver very, very early on in the season. Shea, good year. Good year for him to come in because in the top class, everybody is getting used to the new cars because it's 992 time. Yeah, exactly. And with these new cars, it's like you said, it's a blank sheet for everyone. You've got drivers, uh, for example, Kelly Moss, one of their other drivers is Sebastian Carrazzo, a name that we've known for several years now, John, in in calling his races. Mm. First in the gold category, winning that championship, and then last year stepping up into platinum. Well, last year he had to learn the new car. This year he has to learn another new car. So there's no advantage for Sebastian, who's been racing Porsches for the better part of four years now, versus Seb, who's coming into this with a lot of Ford experience, but mm. not so much with the engine placed where it is in the new car. Yeah, and it still is that the Cup car still has the traditional, it's a very good point, still has the traditional um, gearbox then engine configuration, a bit more power this year, uh, full wide body kit, different uh, different wheel diameters, uh, front and wing, not just uh, widths, aping the, the street car, the road car. Uh, and across Michelin tyres uh, as well. Uh, just before we move on, staying with Porsche Carrera Cup North America, uh, new race director for Porsche Carrera Cup North America, uh, and uh, Randy Book uh, had a baptism of fire in his first race direction because he's also looking after the Edemitsu Mazda MX-5 Cup presented by BF Goodridge Tyres. Yeah, which means we've got potentially quite a few weekends where Mr. Buck is going to be quite busy up Mm. there, practically chained to race control, um, including Sebring, which is going to be another bit of a baptism by fire because he goes from having just the Itamitsu MX-5 Cup at Daytona to having now four races across the weekend at Sebring. That's going to be, yeah, someone's going to need to bring him a lot of box lunches, I think. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So you listen to Midweek Motorsport Series 16, episode 6. I was cut off, first of all, well done to Tim for getting me back in time to speak to Russell. That was particularly time sensitive, so we had to get into that. Uh, But I was cut off in my prime with some tweets at Specutainment. Nick I was about to say Nick Holland talking about sports cars. If Felipe is not with Persia, where? High on a hill with a lonely goat herd, perhaps? Cryptic, he says. Uh, uh, could Nick DeVries end up at Toyota for the 2022 season? That would be novel, promoting a, a test uh, driver. Uh, Uncle Kevin says, a lot of discussion around a team who might not bother showing up again. I'm pretty certain that they're coming uh, this time around. Mark Urban, uh, enjoying our recap of the Spec Miata races in the previous hour. I've never seen the MX-5 Cup before. Quickly learned it's one of the best uh, racing series around. A couple of people asking about Alpine, what their plans are. As far as I'm aware, nothing beyond the Recycled Rebellion they're running this year. But of course... You would think, wouldn't you, putting two, two and two together and getting 110, as they're Alpine, um, that they are doing that to get some kind of data. Dave Alcott can't wait for MX-5 at Sebring. 24 wheels of MX-5 drafting down the Ullman Strait into Sunset Corner. 
six cars wide bringing into <laughs> getting into the line on the pitch straight yes it's probably going to be all uh, of that simon Kerr, late efas hello to brad perez racing also looking to forward to mx5 at uh, daytona uh, and uh, a few people saying that how much they enjoyed Mo Murray and Michael Carter. Uh, Dave Alcock saying thought he assembled MX5 brilliantly. It's Formula Ford with Fenders. Great advocate for the series. And uh, a lot of nice uh, words about Russell as well. Russell Ward. Um, and just a, a quick note on on that share before we move on to the rest of the, the IMSA news. What a fantastic record Russell has when he changes categories, moves into different classes. I think he got a podium the first time he came into what's now the Michelin Pilot Challenge, goes into GTD for the first time and wins the watch. Yeah, Russell's definitely somebody who adapts very quickly. And, you know, round of applause to the Windward team too because stepping up into doing a 24-hour race when your longest previous race had been a 24-hour race, but the 24 hours of Coda, a little bit different than the 24 hours of Daytona. So it was a big learning curve, and they handled it very, very well. Um, as for Russell, I'm a little bit disappointed to hear that they're not going to be doing any other races in GTD this year, but it just means that the streak continues of teams winning the Rolex in GTD and then not coming back for the full season. I believe it's five years in a row now where that's been the situation. A few people saying, agreeing with Nick that uh, F1 qualifying doesn't need to be changed. How about uh, Sunday morning race with everyone in Caterham's or Janetta Junior, so Alan Prosser. Well, that's no different to the old pro cars that they used to have. They had Peugeot 505 GTIs at Monaco once. Can you imagine that? Go and look it up. It is exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> Jeffrey Bell. Uh, Was that the one that had... Um... I was going to say old people in it, but Jenny Morbidelli and uh, oh, Johnny Herbert. I think and... it was long before that. Long, it must, five or five GTIs were late 70s, early 80s cars with the Duvran V6 up front. Beautiful car, always uh, wanted Alan one. Alan mentions uh, Ginettas there. Can yeah. I go off on tangent? Go, ten- tangentially off. Because uh, uh, this year you can win prizes worth more than £400,000 <laughs> with Ginetta. Really? Yes. Although you would have to win every championship and finish as runner-up and rookie champion in every championship as well. So uh, not not one person can win all of them. But yeah, lots of big money on offer uh, in uh, the UK's biggest single-make racing manufacturers' championships. Very good. Uh, it's it's what it needs, and we heard from more and from Michael there early on in the programme in the last hour, how important real folding dollars in that case, pounds, euros, whatever, wherever you else are uh, in in the world, how important that is to move people through into the top class or to keep them coming back into your championship. You know, Michael, $375,000 in the last three years, that's not an insubstantial amount of money to put into your racing. It's probably cost him all of that to go racing, but that means he's got his racing for not a lot of money or nothing at all. Now, not everybody can win. We understand that. It's really important important though and look at the talent share that has has come out of the Mazda road to 24 down through the years wandering through the IMSA paddock as you do as our VP racing field pit and paddock reporter there's a lot of people who have benefited from that yeah yeah there are um, Mo mentioned Patrick Gallagher uh, we've got Stephen McAleer Chad McCombie of course Kenton Cook Kenton former Cook, champion yeah. Uh, Drake Kemper, he's still in the series, but I associate him with other things. Uh, how about Mr. Robbie Foley, for example? Great that's call. a name that's very prominent in IMSA and GTD. It, they're everywhere. 
the, the simple truth is the former series champions are everywhere. And, and even the people who haven't won the championships, they stick around. And these people tend to do that because if you can be fast in an MX-5 cup car, if you can win races, you have talent and you're going to be in the paddock for a while. If you can keep me on the track, you've got talent, I'll tell you. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on from that. All right, more IMSA news here on Midweek Motorsport. Coming up, of course, we've got effectively another link to IMSA with Paul Tarsi and a host of guests. I'm going to stay on for that one uh, as well. Johnny O'Connell from Corvette Racing with the driver's view of the ALMS back in the late 90s and early 2000s when the, the eyes of the world were focused on IMSA and uh, the ALMS. MS. That's to, to come. Sebring timetable just being published. Uh, talk to more about having the big hole in it where the WEC was. That's what's getting filled up. Some speculation here about whether the IMSA prototype challenge, which was originally set on the previous weekend to go around some testing uh, uh, private testing for the WEC, whether that would be moved into the substantive part of the week. Has it been? It has not. Um, oh, that's okay. the big story for right now. Although on Sunday it has listed on it uh, still with cabling and whatnot. So I believe that IPC might even be the weekend before. I need to double check the calendar. Um, but track running begins Wednesday afternoon. The first thing on track will be those Mazdas out and running around. No days that are well, actually, no, never mind. Thursday on, Mazda, is a... Mazda, stay with Mazda for a moment. Originally, yeah. when I when I spoke to Michael, you heard him say in that interview, which was re- recorded uh, um, early in the week, he thought it might be two races on Friday. Um, then um, we weren't sure. And actually, I, I deliberately didn't ask more that question because we hadn't seen it right now. So um, do I... we know if the two Mazda yes. races are going to be there? Uh, one is on Thursday night, uh, 4.20 is the green flag time, right. and the second race is Friday morning. So both of their races will be done before Friday afternoon, and they will be able to clear out of the paddock. Uh, and nothing on Saturday morning. By midnight. Yes, and nothing on Saturday morning other than warm-up. Warm-up at 8 a.m., the race goes green at 10.30 yeah. for the That's 69th what I annual. Yeah. That's what I was thinking uh, on that. So that, that's interesting. Um so that's interesting. Uh, let's rattle through a few other stories from IMSA in the last seven days since we were last on air. Um, Acura uh, expecting some additional NSX. We, we know that uh, Gradient are, are going to come back. What else do we know about NSX GT3s? Well, this is a story that I've been curious about for a little while, and you'll remember me saying that I thought we were going to have as many as six Acuras on the grid Mm. at various points during this season. I still believe we're going to have a minimum of four. We've got the Magnus car out and running. We know that Gradient is going to be back. We now understand that there are two other teams in the form of real-time racing and Compass racing that not only have cars, but they're trying to figure out programs to be able to come and run the sprint championships. So we do have a lot more of these cars out there, and I am led to believe that there are at, there is at least one other Acura with one other team, and we know that there are two other chassis within uh, Gradient and Compass, so we could still see a lot more of these Acuras out and running about. Uh, a little bit further down the road, but uh, looks like the TC America title winner, FCP Euro, are coming in to pilot challenge, but not with a TCR car. No, and I think this is a really cool program that FCP Euro has put together. They've got a Mercedes-AMG GT4. That means, yes, the GS category for the 2019 TC America 
champion and second place in the form of Michael Herskin and Nate Vincent. So it's going to be a big step up for them to come into the GT4 brand cars. And it'll be a bit funny for them to be passing TCR cars when that's what they're used to. But that actually should help them a bit. Did you see the, albeit slightly still camouflaged, uh, Audi uh, second gen RS3? Now, you're you're an A3 sedan driver. That's your daily driver. The new version of this car is coming out. And the reason that that it's still under camouflage a bit in the Audi Sport colours is that actual, the streetcar hasn't been revealed yet. My goodness, it looks phenomenal (laughs) from what we can see. My first thought about this, John, was... Oh, I hope someone slightly damages a rear wing, but not enough that it's actually damaged. And then I could put that in my carry-on and then somehow fit it to my car. I like I like the front end of it as well. I think the front oh, end of it and the, the it, it does look it does look as though the race car has come has been um, designed at the same time as the road car, which clearly it has if the road car's not out yet, because it seems more integral all the bits and the arches are much more look i've got a 968 so i love those sort of audi ur quattro flared arches that the rs4s estate cars used to have as well it just looks a more integral design to me i think it looks brilliant yeah, it definitely looks purpose-built and purpose-built to win um, the the new Audi. It's got my heart tethered to it. I, I can't be shy about that. And you're right. It, it looks much more like a much more like the Ford GT, if you will. It looks like they built a streetcar to model the race car instead of building a race car around a streetcar. Yeah. Uh, we brought the story, or at least Kyle Tilly did, when he was talking to us on uh, IMSA Radio over the Daytona weekend, but now confirmed that Kyle, along with Dwight Merriman, for a full-season LMP2 campaign for Era Motorsports, and they did have the good grace to, to say as as uh, unexpectedly revealed on IMSA Radio. But this is, yeah. this, again, this is a good news story. Yeah, and again, sorry, Kelly, sorry. We didn't um, ask him. No, we didn't. It well, was, we sort of great. did. He got so excited that it just came out, and then, you know, we went on to win a Rolex, so it, it was a great weekend for Aero Motorsport. Very busy season for those guys. They're currently this weekend uh, doing the Asian Le Mans Series, so they're involved with that, Dwight Merriman and Kyle Tilly, uh, joined by a Greek driver, uh, Andreas, I don't dare try and butcher his last name. Um, and then it sounds like they're going to be doing some ELMS racing too. So uh-huh. trying to get a lot of seat time for Dwight and Kyle. And clearly it's, it's a partnership. They're both very fond of one another. They're good friends. So the more time that they can spend racing cars, the better. Uh, that's, yeah, I think that's a very, very sound idea. Um Palace Challenge Championship stepping up to WeatherTech, towing the water uh, for uh, Carbon or a championship contender. What do you reckon? Uh, Well, the team knows how to get championships done. Coming into GTD, you're never going to consider somebody a championship contender in their first year simply because of the way the class is. It's so difficult, but it's, it's an interesting sprint cup a uh, championship for sure. Carbon with Peregrine, 
coming into Sprint, Jeff Westfall, who again gave us a bit of an exclusive on IMSA Radio during the uh, Daytona weekend, alongside Richard Highstand. And Richard is somebody who's no stranger to the Sprint races. He ran the full season with Lexus, remember? So he knows how to win some of those races, too. He won at uh, Detroit and Mid-Ohio. It's going to be a strong effort. And whenever you've got Steve Dynan at the helm, particularly when you've got that Audi R8 that they're very accustomed to the GT4 version, it's going to be a very strong car nonetheless. It's just going to be one of those situations of how quickly can they adapt to such a stacked class because we're going to have probably close to 20 cars in sprint when we get down to it. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, that that is just looking... It's been so so many good new stories. Uh, The Sebring Poster is out, Roger Warwick. I mean, looks fantastic. But more making the point earlier on that Mazda's name will be above the pit lane for the first time, given they won their first Mobile One 12 hours of Sebring last year. It's getting a bit real now. Fingers crossed that that it all goes well. And um, I'm I'm looking at the uh, at the schedule: Porsche Sprint Challenge and Masters Endurance Legends uh, out for. Uh, with, with IPC certainly on the on the previous Saturday of the Mobile t- 12 Hours, so it's going to be it's going to be like a 10-day festival at Sebring. <laughs> it really is. Now the poster, um, I, I find it a little bit funny. Uh, the poster is is set dated for the race, which is March 20th, uh, 2021, for the the 69th annual Mobile One Sebring 12 Hours or 12 Hours of Sebring. Um, the thing I find a little bit funny is I believe there are three cars on the poster that will not be racing at Sebring. So that's a little funny cars that we're running at Daytona, but it's a very cool global feeling for this poster. And if you haven't seen it, you can type in your favorite search engine and pull it up. Uh, but once again, Roger Warwick, he's he's so gifted at drawing these cars and, and making the image that just sears on the inside of our hearts. And I, I really can't wait to get my hands on this program. Thank you, Cher. Thank you very much indeed. Last 10 minutes of the show, Tim. Uh, we have some uh, virtual racing to talk about uh, quickly, which I've just uh, remembered, uh, because once again we'll be covering the VCO. Um, By what's it called? <laughs> By uh, what's that championship? The Blue Band events. The Blue Band events, which yeah, are the called... World Tour. Yes, the World Tour. That's right. Uh, we'll be Starts covering with that again. Starts with Sebring. Details to come on that in the coming weeks um now uh, um, i see that nick is still connected so that must be me we'll some go off. back to him in a moment oh, okay Where do uh, I go just talk amongst yourselves for a moment well uh, that's me talking amongst myself because we've just let share go uh ad spec entertainment has been very busy uh tonight sam pierce on our formula one put the fe- uh, sorry uh, just put feeder series drivers in a modern version uh of uh, any Old Formula Ford uh, getting support races started uh, and uh, Ian saying uh, that uh, he favours Formula Ford as well. Oh, Formula Ford, you see. Uh, OK, uh, Nick Damon is standing by. Tim, have we got enough uh, Formula One? It's got to be more Formula One news, hasn't it? We've got, well, it's Formula One news. It's um, other... Formula One related news uh, uh, but first of all Nick in the first hour of the show John mentioned the F word what Ferrari? Uh, franchise yes I used the franchise word um, but 
uh, we could be not in a franchise situation uh, because uh, Stefano Domenicali has apparently uh, intimated that he will waive the uh, um, $200 million anti-dilution fee um, for for a new uh, Monaco F1 racing team. But haven't they just said that they're not what F1 wants, F1 wants a manufacturer? Um, That $200 was always the anti-chancellor's clause. It was yes. never, ever going to stop a, a, a proper entry. So say Peugeot decide that rather than doing um, Le Mans, they wanted to do F1. Or as well as. Exactly. That 200 million would never have been charged. It would have been, it was always, you know, to prevent, you know, the, the problems we had around, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people with literally you no know, backing, just wandering in and giving it a go and Nick, causing, giving chicanes. Nick, uh, how, how many teams could there be on the grid with the current Concord Agreement? Well. And how many have we got? Ten. So potentially confusing, eh? <laughs> potentially if we had the backing um, from No Name Energy Drink we could we could uh, we could form ourselves into a consortium we all live in the Carbon Fibre Triangle so you know we could throw a um, a metric spanner to most places that we would need to buy the bits from and we could potentially go racing. What do we have to do to Formula One, the the rights holders and to the FIA to, to prove to them that we are fit and proper? Do we have to, is, is there an amount of money you've got to put down? No, well yes, currently it's 200 million but it's uh, no, but a way they can't complete. enforce that. They can enforce it. They can prevent someone from entry. They give them two hundred million quid in a, well, in a bond. They, they can absolutely, they can absolutely enforce it. They they can also waive it, which is what they're going to do for uh, Monaco increased management. Well, which is an investment right fund. M I M. I still don't understand why anybody would want to start from scratch when you can buy an existing team. Well, the reason they're doing this, though, surely, is to give the existing teams intrinsic value, Nick. I think buying one for a hundred million dollars would give it some intrinsic value, wouldn't it? Exactly. I think. I think perhaps when we get into the meat of the um, uh, cost caps and everything else, and that's been running for three or four years, and people can see that it's not cubic dollars; it's a it's one hundred and seventy million, which is a lot, but it's a a number that exists and doesn't get exceeded by. Then you start to have an intrinsic value to a team, and you also have have a value to a a startup. and theoretically, at that point, you might be able to attract the full complement. Who's behind Mim, then? I don't know. Who is it, Tim? You must know this. Well, Mim is obviously uh, the uh, Monaco Increase Management Fund. Uh, it's run by a guy called Salvatore Gandolfo. Mm. Mm-hmm. The great um, Gandolfo, as he likes to be known. Uh, they have previously uh, had a relationship with Campos Racing in uh, Formula 2. Right. right. All right. So some. some... And HRT in Formula One or not? No, no. Only, only in 2019 was this relationship. Oh, okay. Well, well after the HRT issue. So uh, originally, current... apparently, they planned to enter in 2021, but because the rules changed, um, meaning that 2021 is basically 2020 continued, um, mm. then they can't do that. Right. Well, I believe so they'd have it. to design their own car and find an engine manufacturer or come up with their own 
Um, there's a few uh, manufacturers who uh, still have spare engine capacity, like Renault. Renault are desperate to find someone else. Hmm. Renault really want to. Renault, 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 sorry, Alp, no, I think the no, are Renault's, aren't they? The engines oh, are still Alp. Renault's. Alp, Alp. Oh, are they? Yes. Yeah, so okay. Renault are desperate to find a second team. Um, they have so much so, they've been chatting to Williams, despite the fact Williams having a four year contract with Mercedes. Wow. Because they, the, what happened was they were sniffing heavily around Sauber Alfa Romeo, but they, Sauber decided to put their um, their basket absolutely in the Ferrari uh, hat as such, and uh, and hope to keep the Alfa Romeo sponsorship moving a couple of years. Massive mixed metaphor. Put their basket in the Ferrari wrong. hat. It, 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 <laughs> I really hoped you'd have lost that. <laughs> Don't be silly. It's so, not, not an evening of glossing, is it? I can tell. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, th- so, so the Alfa sponsorship. <laughs> Um, it ends uh, this year, but could be renewed. Is the point right? Okay. So the Ferrari really would I, like it to be. I know. I I know. I know that it's slightly fatuous saying this, but go with me on it for a moment. It wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. So the Alpha sponsorship is just that. It's a name on the side of the card. The fact that there was, there was, is a loose link between Alpha and Ferrari. Um, that's. That's not key to getting the Ferrari engines, or is it? I think there is, of course, no... I don't think there's any link anymore between Stellantis, of course, who own Alfa Romeo My and point. Ferrari. Yes. But historically, of course, there is a huge you know, Italian link, and, and it, it runs together. And, and you know, um, the Ferrari link obviously provides them with Antonio Giovinazzi, and it provides them with the engines. And I think they felt that keeping their eggs in an Italian basket was going to give them more, re- more rewards. Like Alfa Romeo would much rather have their name on a car that's got a Ferrari engine than a car that's got a Renault engine. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 what Sauber is saying. If we keep everything the same, we can carry on attracting the Alfa Romeo title sponsorship, which yeah. is what it is, and move on. If Alfa Romeo pulls out, that team becomes Sauber next year, or a another team if it gets a... A title. It's not like if Haas pull out, the team disappears. Right, right, okay. And presumably Ferrari aren't too disappointed that uh, that Alfa Romeo is on the engine cover no, um, with their engine underneath it. Although, in no. fairness, we did have um, a Honda-powered Aston Martin um, for Red Bull, didn't we? Yeah, that was a weird piece of uh, marketing from day one, to be honest. Mm. I never quite understood that. But Okay, let's move on. Time ticking. Yes, uh, because Alpine have had a driver announcement today. Oh yeah, they've they've, they've re-signed some kid, haven't they? Victor Martins. Um, yes, who 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 they sacked because he didn't win something in year. Like I think he was in was he Formula Regional Renault or Formula. That's he, right. He didn't yes, win he, he didn't, he didn't win it, him. so they fired him, and now he's won the it, Formula Renault Euro Cup, and suddenly he's back again. He's back again. Yeah. So that goes. So obviously, what's happening is they they must have been consulting Hel uh, Marco in the way to run a junior program because that's that's brilliant. Mm. Uh, who else have they got in the Alpine Academy? Don't know. Uh, Oscar Piastri. <laughs> oh, hang on, no, no, no. Um, so you got um, Lingard and Zhu, haven't you? Yeah, Christian Lingard, Guan Yu Zhu, uh, Oscar Piastri, and Kayo Cole. All five I of them. I must have, I'd forgotten Piastri was in there. All five of them will be in uh, Formula 2 or Formula 3 this year. Cool. Not all at the same time. As Formula 3 and Formula 2 isn't. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Right, yes. I thought you meant that the, yes. the same year. I go, that's a bit weird. Mm. But you meant because they're not running on the same weekends anymore, which is not a silly idea, but carry on, keep going. Did, did I, <laughs> on, a, on a slightly tangential but still sort of Formula One thing, um, oh. did I did yes. I notice that, that Roy Nissany is doing one of the winter series to grab some yes. extra... Yes, he is. ...extra points? Because doing the series that he's doing, which is out in the UAE at the moment... He finishes before his substantive season starts, so he can there, there at that point, Nick, bank those points. Yes, indeed. That's the Asian Formula Three Championship, which has relocated to the Gulf and is alternating between um, Dubai and uh, yes. Yas Marina, Abu Dhabi. So I think they've run about nine rounds already. More interesting than that, actually, is absolutely Roy is okay, but. It's being won by Jurin Derovola, of course, who is, who's got much more positive uh, chance of getting further on. Uh, the F3 Asian Championship does not give you super license points because super license points are only awarded to Formula 3 championships, uh, which are held uh, over a minimum of eight rounds at three different circuits. I, I'm not would, sure that's being applied this year. I would absolutely agree with you, John. I'm pretty certain, the, given the people who are there, there's no reason for them to do it if there aren't super license points. And given the fact that the whole force majeure mm. of super license points at the end of last year, I guarantee that's got the super license points for the championship. Fine. If you know better, at Specutainment, please. If, uh, you know, part of the FIA. Do you want to send us a fax, by the way, if you're at the FIA? <laughs> just to keep a, a It's the only reason we still have a fax machine. Just for the FIA stuff? Absolutely. Yes. Nothing else comes through on it. We don't even get those uh, um, faxes uh, asking us to buy huge amounts of uh, fax toner anymore. I'm not sure we ever had fax toner. I think I was as a heated thingy bob wad. It's that old. Uh, Where are we going to next, Tim? Uh, We're going to do a very quick preview of the Tour Radio Show. Um, And uh, then we're going to say goodbye. So I'll do the very quick preview of the it's not called the Toy Radio Show. That's another £5 it's cost me. The uh, Simcast. We're going to do a very quick preview for Simcast, which uh, includes uh, the approval by shareholders of the deal uh, between uh, with F1 and Codemasters. Uh, they're going to be talking about the announcement of the ACC British GT DLC pack. They will not be reviewing it, I've uh, been told by Lewis. Uh, they have uh, Jimmy Broadbent racing in Brit Car. Uh, which was announced last week, mm. of course, or earlier this week. Uh, Formula E Hong Kong Virtual Grand Prix Silverstone. Presumably it's Formula E Accelerate rather than actual Formula E. Yes. Um, the PESC at Silverstone, eNASCAR at Daytona, and something about Thrustmaster rimming. Well, uh, we started with a premature exclamation and we're finishing with uh, Thrustmaster rimming. What a show that was. Thanks for joining us. Midweek Motorsport returns next week at 8. Stay tuned. More tonight on RS1 as Paul Tarsi and the rest of the Historic Racing News team look back on the ALMS. Thanks to Shane, to Nick and to all of our guests. I'm John Heindorf. Tim Gray was in London and the responsible adult, as ever, was a few. There's no time to explain. I just can't even begin to tell you where I was going to go with that. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.